Hello and welcome under the Kotatsu. I am your host, Austin, joined as always by Danny. Hello. And Danielle. Hey nerds. We are back to talk about more gits, more ghosts in the shell. Uh, but before we do that, let's go around yawn katatsu and see what everybody is uh drinking i'm gonna go first because i'm drinking the most thing to drink at a katatsu i'm drinking green tea uh have i was, was like i haven't had tea in like i haven't made tea for myself and like fucking forever do i even still have tea is it even still good the answer was yes and yes so i'm drinking green tea it is delightful but it's also maybe gonna make me sleepy halfway through this recording so we'll see uh <laughs> what are you drinking uh danny I'm having some peach sparkling water. Nice. And uh, what are you drinking, Danielle? I'm just drinking some coffee with almond milk. Nothing fancy. Alrighty. Um, well, as I said, we are back to uh, discuss more Ghost in the Shell. We watched the second movie, uh, Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence, um, which, um, let's see, uh, I guess, um, you know, probably say it before we do like a quick vibe check on how we're feeling about this Um Worth noting, I think, that, like, this movie came out nine years after the original. Uh, I think Standalone Complex had started by the time they went into production on this, and then, like, its second season came out after this movie came out. Something like that. Um, so Ghost in the Shell had a little bit of, like, an anime break between the movie and now. Um, and the, I don't know, if you've not seen Standalone Complex, there's a lot more, like, 3D animation in that than there was in the show. It's trying to do for, like tv anime with the movie kind of the original movie kind of did for uh like movie budget production um but um just kind of helps to to note that so this movie came out in 2004 um also directed by mamoru oshi uh screenplay also by mamoru oshi kenji Kawai doing the soundtrack again it's a co-production between production ig and studio ghibli um as far as I can tell, they're mostly there to provide like production support. Most of the animation, at least the 2D animations, being done at Production IG, and then they've got a couple of 3D and CG studios doing that work separately. Um, and then other fun production note: it was released in the U.S. by Go Fish Pictures, which is a uh, I guess defunct as of 15 years ago uh, division of DreamWorks, um, who also distributed uh, Millennium Actress in America when that first came out, um, and. Um, I think released uh Cashern, like the Cashern uh remake uh anime, uh before going defunct, something like that. Um so apparently this did well for them though. I don't think Ghost in the Shell 2 performed very well in Japan, but it did seem to do well for its like release in uh in America, which was interesting. But anyway, we should do a quick vibe check. Uh I will also take the reins of this just to say I really like this movie. This movie um uh, I like this movie for the reason I like a lot of other Oshi movies, which is just like, there's just stuff in this movie that's just like entirely my jam. There's some problems I have with this movie and some questions I have that I'm interested to talk with y'all about. But um, I don't know. What did y'all think about Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence? I guess uh, I sh I'm, a, I'm the host, so I should turn <laughs> off to someone. Uh, Danielle, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I very mixed feelings about this one. Um, I generally like all the visuals, music, that kind of stuff, but I did not give a shit about the plot, and I found the questions this one asking to be not as interesting as the first film. All right, and how about you, Danny? What was, what was your uh, initial uh, takeaway from the film? Uh, generally the same uh, as Danielle. I um, A lot of things I liked, but then I think at a certain point, you can like even see it in my notes, that there's a point where I forgot what was going on, or I just lost track or something, where... 
it was around where they're going into like the mind palace or like that they're being hacked with uh, <laughs> the with Kim and I'm like what the fuck like I get like okay like not like what are the, what's going on because I get that they're being mind hacked I clued into that pretty quickly but it goes on for long enough and like everyone is literally just like quoting philosophy at each other to the point uh-huh. where I was like please stop just quoting like Confucius sayings towards each other or whatever like stop it please <laughs> This is very, it's very much in the style of like the worst or the most annoying online communists, you know, that do nothing to quote <laughs> other works instead of like synthesizing anything. Okay, but y'all are saying these things as if it's a bad thing about the movie and not the reason why it fucking rules. <laughs> Sorry to say. But I got to a certain point where, um, like, after that whole sequence, uh, I think Bato's like, we got to go to Locus Solus. And I'm like, wait, who are they? Or like, aren't they the victims? Like, aren't they, like they just made the man? Like they made the the dolls. Like, what's going on? Like, why are they now? What did they do? Um, so I became very, very confused. Um, and from there on, like, <laughs> like, it's like no one's come back from that ship alive. And I'm like, what ship? Who's tried to go there? <laughs> so. Uh, I'm very curious for this five-sentence summary, because I feel like uh, the majority of it will be me going, like, that happened? Oh? <laughs> I was, um, I made the mistake last time of of spending the day before we recorded thinking, oh, it'll be super easy to do a five-sentence summary. I don't have to really think about it ahead of time. This time, I thought about it ahead of time, but I think I've I've come to the the idea that this one will actually be easier to do a five-sentence summary of. Um, I think I got too bogged down in the details last time, but we'll see. Um, yeah, that gives us a lot of kind of things to put uh, pins in for, for as we talk through the movie. Um, I'll also mention one more thing before I get into the plot, which is um, uh, I'll just lay this out here and we can think about this because I don't know if y'all knew this um, while watching it or after it. Um, this movie was uh, in uh, submission for Con 2004, like Con Film Festival, um uh so it was an official selection it did not win uh anything i don't think uh certainly did not win the palm d'or which that year went to um fahrenheit 911 so that's where we were at in uh <laughs> 2004 <laughs> uh got to got to stick it to bush um but um interesting to think about this movie being kind of <laughs> uh screened in that sort of setting um but anyway so i will attempt to do another five sentence summary for this uh, I'll try my best. Um, first sentence. A bunch of sex robots are killing people. <laughs> Second sentence. Um, <laughs> Bato and Togusa from the original Ghosts in the Shell are tasked to investigate these murders because they think it might be a terrorist plot. Sentence two. Sentence three. Uh, they investigate and things get really hairy when Bato is ghost hacked and almost kills a convenience store uh uh what do you call it uh, a owner clerk <laughs> a clerk uh and they are forced to kind of speed up the case by going directly to the manufacturer of the uh, sex robots uh sentence four uh their investigation leads them to a wacky mansion uh where sick ass kenji Kawai music box music plays and uh, things get really trippy until uh, Bato puts together that Tokus has been brain hacked. Uh, and then the guy that brain hacked him tells them where the finale of the movie is going to happen. Sentence five, the finale of the movie happens. Um, <laughs> semicolon. Uh, Bato teams up with uh, the major who uh, has hacked into one of the sex robot uh, bodies and helps him 
deactivate the security system on the factory ship that's making the sex bots where they find out that uh, human trafficked girls are being ghost dubbed into the dolls and then the movie just kind of ends. Um, so the plot's really simple. And as you're saying, Danny, this is just a movie where like, or I guess to synthesize what both you and Danielle were saying, this is a movie where cool visuals happen and dudes are quoting and sometimes there are guns being fired, but more often they're just being looked at and there's also cool cars. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not as like, deep or as interesting to think about thematically as the first one but man is it sick <laughs> i don't know this just this all just works for me in a very like aesthetically a pleasing way Here, here's a, a question um for for a sixth sentence to your summary okay why are the little girls being ghost dubbed into the sex bots uh the implication is that it, it it's more appealing to the people who are buying the sex dolls like there's a line that I think Bato has once they're like in that chamber at the end with the girls who are like hooked up to the ghost dubbing machines where he says like, ah, so this is the, the secret behind why Laka Solis's dolls sell better than the rest or something like that. Okay. Uh, that's what I thought. And I, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, the enemy is, is both capitalism and like, I, I didn't know if the implication is, like, the people who are buying the sex bots are, like, pedophiles, or if it's just, like, having any human soul in there makes them more lifelike or something. I don't know what the implication is one way or the other. Yeah, that's not made clear, nor do I feel like it maybe needs to be too clear, but, um... yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like they point out at the beginning of the movie that the victims of these murders are all like high ranking, like businessmen and politicians and like people in power. And that's why they think it might be like a terrorist um, attack, right? Because of who's being targeted. But I guess it just mostly is a consequence of like, these are the people who are dying or dying, buying the uh, sex robots that have uh, ghost dubbed children put into them. Uh, they're the elite. So I get you could you could do like a real world parallel between, you know, like actual human and sex trafficking and um, doing it in this movie, but with robots, I guess. Yeah, I um, I had a lot of like theories at the beginning of this that uh, I think would have been bet better. Like, oh, it's like basically like a sex bot revolution where, you know, like the maybe the major having ascended to the net is like, giving these sex box set sex bots sentience and like they're revolting against these people who are abusing them or something and i was like oh man i really hope that bato doesn't come down on the side of like sex bots you can't kill your oppressors but then the, the movie just didn't go that way at all and i was like okay never <laughs> never mind i guess uh the bato does chastise a little girl for trying to not die but we'll get to that i guess at the very the end are are you expecting the rating staff on this to have like a um a nuanced take on sex workers because i couldn't imagine it happen after happening after the uh gender stuff of the last film yeah i was well, on high alert we'll get back to the ending of the movie i guess because i needed to watch it a second time to really because i was also taken back like why is bato just yelling at this child <laughs> but it made more sense to rewatch it. <laughs> um, uh, so we'll, we'll get to that, I guess. The plot structure of this movie is pretty easy to break down, though, because it's basically... And I was kind of surprised when I rewatched it. I looked at the kind of time code for when this split happens, and it, it's like literally halfway through the movie. Um, but there's a very clean first half and second half, which the first half is like them in 
New Donk City or whatever the the Ghost in the Shell City is called, <laughs> New, Newport City, um, uh, like doing their investigative work. Um, and then the second half of the movie is like after Bato gets ghost hacked, they're like, okay, like you've got to go directly to the manufacturer. So they go to a different city, which thing I think they say the name of it doesn't didn't really stick in my mind. The northern northern well they say it's like well we got to go to like the northern territories or whatever but they say the name of the city that they go to it starts with like an e it's like arrow arrow photo or arrow photo or something like that arrow flynn Um, yeah arrow flynn and the adventures of robin hood um (laughs) admittedly a better movie but i mean you don't get better than the adventures of robin hood starring arrow flynn of course Um, this is a I'm putting it out there because this is a defining. This is in my ghost. You know what I mean? Like this is uh, this is the kernel of my identity. Is the belief that The Adventures of Robin Hood is better than most movies. Um, but yeah, that's the second half of the movies when they go to this other city and um, uh, like take their investigation kind of more directly to it. Although it's the the way the investigation unfolds is really weird to me because it's it follows like a pretty succinct like procedural plot of like okay we're gonna uh talk to the local police see what they know we're gonna talk to the like forensics uh um person at the police station then we're gonna oh some other crime scene has happened that's related we're gonna go check that out and then we're gonna follow leads and then you know oh the heat's really getting on us we've got to speed up our investigation but like by the time they're like we got to speed up the investigation the movie really slows down (laughs) and like the investigation kind of like is just like it's not really clear what they're doing until it's already happened in the second half. I guess we'll talk through that more. Um, but the movie's very weirdly paced um, in a way that I think is like, I feel like this is a total like six out of 10, seven out of 10 movie, but because I'm such a fan of like a lot of the like aesthetic choices and just like, I'm, I'm in on this movie's level of bullshit. It gets elevated to like an eight or a nine for me. Um, but it does have all these weird issues with like pacing and, and plot structure. And it's definitely not one of Oshi's like better scripts. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Where do y'all want to start? Cause like I kind of just outlined the whole plot. I mean, we can kind of go where I, I have, uh, some interesting deets about the first few seconds of the movie. Uh, it starts with mm-hmm. a quote, just like the first one. Uh, did you have the quote written down? If not, I can pull no, it. No, I do not. Um, it's, it has to do with like loving or like your, like love being something. One second. Should have queued it up. You're so true. Love really is doing something. If our gods and our hopes are nothing but scientific phenomenon, then let us admit it must be said that our love is scientific as well. Tomorrow's Eve, 1886. And I go, what's Tomorrow's Eve, 1886? I check it out. It's a French novel, um, The Future Eve, but you can translate it Tomorrow's Eve if you'd like, I guess. Um, It is a wildly misogynistic book. (laughs) It is... I was reading the plot summary and then in, like I read some analysis on it as well. Um, it is all about Thomas Edison, like a fictionalized Thomas Edison making a like gynoid lover for one of his friends who is engaged to someone who's physically beautiful, but like super materialistic. And all she ever talks about is things that she thinks other people want to hear. And I'm just so bored by her. And then Thomas Edison's like, I'll make you the perfect sex bot of your l- dreams or whatever. And then they, they do it. And like, there's a lot of stuff in here basically about how like, man, wouldn't it be nice to if we could make like a, a woman bot to like just be pretty and then not be 
anything bad or whatever. Deeply strange that it uh, comes up, that it's in the beginning of this thing, to the point where they're talking about Halliday units or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's, That's the name the... of the, the gynoid uh, like model that the, the movie's about is, is borrowed from the, the French book you're talking about. Yeah, so very, very strange that, like, because I was like, oh, maybe they found a quote about, like, love being technological or something like that, but then I was like, oh, no, I feel like they read this book, <laughs> and, like, which kind of put me on high alert for, like, oh, maybe they're gonna have something of, like, the gynoid sex bots are gonna have a revolution, but they didn't do that. It was, it was This this un- whole movie really. does feel like Mamoru Oshii, like, kept a journal of, like, cool quotes and cool things that he came across in like a two-year period of time and then he just like puked them all into the screenplay um (laughs) which i appreciate i mean it's not like it's not good storytelling or anything but i every time there's multiple scenes of this movie where bato and tokusa are just literally exchanging quotes like they're trying to one-up each other like they're doing a dick measuring contest but with like philosophy quotes and i'm like this rocks yeah i fucking <laughs> this, hate this that i can see that shit all the time on twitter and i just block everyone who's like that <laughs> i'm blocking tokusa and bato on twitter right now <laughs> too annoying it, it like like well, they're in the elevator in the police station and it's like oh you know the mirror is a way of looking at one's soul <laughs> yeah. and then then toga says like but if a mirror is used for falsehoods that are some it's some bullshit <laughs> and what's funny is it's it's not like like when major and bato were doing it or like major was like really like she wasn't quoting as much but like she was like grappling with her like humanity quote-unquote or like whether or not she's real who owns her body etc etc but then in this you get um the forensics lady and like unprompted is just like expositing all of her thoughts and feelings about like raising children because we're still doing that shit um like what does it mean to really be human is a doll different from a human and so on and so forth and it's like barely like if at all prompted by either of the other two characters. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, what do you mean? Like, she committed suicide? Well, you see, officer, what separates us from the dolls or whatever, or from the animals or whatever she says? And I'm just like, what is going on? Like, who are it's, you, lady? <laughs> it's such a funny scene because, like, Bato is just, like, trying to get, like, cold hard facts and leave, and this lady is just like... <laughs> <laughs> deciding this is her opportunity to be on one and Togus is like oh say more i'm really interested in all this and bato is just like you know uh he's not literally doing this but the like the way the scene gets played is like bato's basically like, you know tapping his foot checking his watch like can we go already yeah. um so the guy that will inevitably do the same thing in an hour's time <laughs> yeah god the um i did i do want to say the so the opening of this movie is whatever they I like the the Bato like driving on in and like it's like kind of shaky cam in a way that I really appreciated um, when he's going through the hallways scanning the dead bodies. I got a kick out of that. It's like scanning, scanning. Yep, he's he's dead. The the person who has a giant fucking hole in his chest or whatever. Um, when uh, and- Bato uses his Batman detective vision. See, my mind went to, it, because it was like first person and, and kind of shaky with like the crosshair, like the scanning reticle or whatever, it made me think of like House of the Dead, like oh, when sure. you like like the transition scenes where you'd go from one area to another, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> Bato, look out, there's a zombie. 
I guess um, it's also kind of Metroid Prime when you scan things in mm. that game too. Like it looks pretty similar. Yeah, but then he finds the um, the geisha doll. I don't know how else to really describe them. They all kind of have that sort of geisha look, um, which I'm sure you could unpack that. I'm not nearly an expert on that aspect of culture or the history of it or anything like that. Um, like using that as a uh, a model for what is essentially a, a sex bot or a maid bot or a pet bot. They they use a different a bunch of different terms for different kinds of gynoids in this. Yep. Um, and then the fight scene's interesting. She's about to kill herself by making her head look like a FNAF character, and then uh, <laughs> sure. Bato <laughs> then Bato blasts her with a super shotgun his standard issue big gun yeah and then later gets chastised by the forensics lady we were talking about she's like well you know if you shot him with a more conventional like police officer weapon you wouldn't have like fucked up this robot so badly i would have been able to get more information and i don't know if he says anything or i think he might just be like well you got to use the right tool for the right job or some bullshit (laughs) like i had to use the shotgun ma'am he he's like it. It had already killed three people, um, two of which were police officers, and then yeah, like I had to use the big gun. Would you? What would you have me do? Not use the big gun? I brought it all the way out. Also, they use the word "it." Um, I wanted to make that little point. One of the officers at the beginning says it killed um, two people or three people, whatever. Um, which, given that we're in Ghost of the Shelliverse, uh, referring to a like mechanical android as or or gynoid i guess in this quick i'm i'm gonna use it interchangeably if i forget i forget um like using it as a pronoun for something that is like not an object feels like a loaded like choice um though it doesn't really go remarked upon in this but whatever i mean i think that makes sense within context i can imagine (laughs) You know, like, police force just standard uses it for um, uh, anyone they deem non-human. Like, Oh, sure. It's just, I would have hoped it would... Not, like, I don't think it needed to be, like, addressed or anything like that, but I thought it might have been interesting to... Like, if they're getting into all of these, are these robots human kind of thing, if they had put some weight onto it, but oh well. Well, this is, this is my, uh, you know, like, chief complaint with the movie thematically is it's, like, it's got this whole motif of dolls, and it's about, like, these, you know, like, a, a specific type of doll that's, like, come to life and starts killing people, but it doesn't really ever, like, attempt to tackle any questions of, like, what does it mean that, like, suddenly these, um, uh, like, pets or, or gynoids are acting outside of their like confined programming they're like quote-unquote like breaking their rules there's like a kind of sort of reference to like the three laws of robotics or whatever from uh, asimov uh in in one of these scenes where they're talking about this where they're like that they're programmed to only use violence if like you know it would like but they can't direct it towards their master or whatever um but none of that's really examined which again uh, keep a pin in it but we'll get back to it when we get to the end where bato yells at a child which is like okay, I understand why you're yelling at this child, but this movie's not been about this up until now. <laughs> um, and uh, maybe this is a good point to mention that, because um, I know I, I told you all this, but this was before we actually hit record on this bad boy. Uh, I watched this movie twice, the second time with the included commentary track that the Blu-ray has, which was with uh, Mamoru Oshii and one of the animation directors, uh, Toshihiko Nishikubo, who's worked with Oshii on uh, several other projects before. Um 
it is a great commentary if you're interested in the like animation and the visual qualities of the film and like how that got made but it is so telling that there is very little discussion in the commentary uh, about like character motivation or themes or, you know, like broad ideas about like what the film is about. They are all, like from shot to shot, just talking about the shots. Like it's great visual analysis stuff. It's great. Like, here's how we made this. Here's what the, the guys at Skywalker sounded to make these sound effects. Like this is the, like they literally like break down like oh this was animated by this person and by the end of the commentary track you've got a good like working idea of oh this guy was really good at doing this kinds of scenes so he had him work on like these things or whatever like it's great production stuff but neither of them are interested in really interrogating like what the movie's about or what the movie's trying to say which is why i wanted to bring up at the top like they showed this movie at con i can only imagine like being someone at con and being like like this is what you got like we're showing they're showing an anime uh film at, at con and then this is the best you got uh like they should have showed the original gets at, at con instead of this uh yeah absolutely but I, I don't have a good idea of like how it played at con though um i did there was um there's like a behind the scenes uh pretty quick there wasn't a lot of substance to it but there's a behind the scenes feature included on the Blu-ray as well that had some footage of them at con. And, you know, he did get like a standing ovation after the movie. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it's not like the movie's like offensively bad or whatever. Um, but, uh, obviously it didn't win and there's the the making of featurette it seems very clear to me that like they produced it hoping that it would win and then they could market this featurette as like you know like a, a road to winning the palm to or a road to winning like the, the director's <laughs> award or whatever the other con awards are and they didn't win anything so the the featurette ends with like oh she just like really being being really sad in italy that his movie didn't win and just kind of going like <laughs> well <laughs> i guess it's time to go back to work and cut to credits. oh my god <laughs> that's um, so funny yeah, I, I, uh, I think I'll, I think I kind of briefly touched on it, and I think you reinforced it there. Um, I think the biggest problem with this movie is that Bato is like, see, it, it appears that he just wants to solve a case. Like he's not necessarily like personally invested in like the, the everything that's going on, other than the fact that he gets brain hacked at one point. Like Major is like solving a case and all that in the first one. But, like, also is grappling with a lot of her own stuff. And, like, so, like, once the case is basically over, like, she gets the puppet master, she still insists on being, like, ported into him so that, like, she could basically, like, examine her own self. Whereas here, other than them doing quote-offs, there's no real, like, introspection about, like, what they're doing, why they're doing it, who they are. Um, not that Bato has to have the same struggles as the Major, but, like, I don't know, have something going on, like, have him question whether or not his dog is human, or, like, something that'll, like, root him into being personally invested into the case. Instead, he's kind of just like, well, you know, I was told to investigate it, so I got to investigate it with Togusa. We're going to go do it now. Yeah, it feels like there's a missed opportunity. Like, it, it almost feels like this film was set up to be, like, mirroring um, the Major and Bato's relationship in the first film, but instead the Major is Bato and Bato is Togusa in this movie. Um, but again, they just they don't do a lot of work to, like, give Bato, like, any sort of, like, complex, like, philosophical struggle that he's working with the same way, like, the Major was. Um, it really is just, like, he's, he's, a, he's trying to solve a case. Um, I guess, like, you could maybe project a lot onto, like, his character in this because it, you know, it, it's understated in that way. Like, that 
It's not like he's clearly like saying to the character, I'm depressed because I don't think my dog's real or whatever. Like you, you could, you know, you can map something onto it, but I don't think there's enough in the movie to like, like generously read it that way. Um, in the, I mostly just appreciate the, that it's a buddy cop movie between <laughs> Bato and Tunes. <laughs> there are some really like great parts about that. Like uh, when they're talking about like jurisdiction and the police station and the police guy gets so fucking mad about it. Um, but if they wanted to but do... It feels like they completely dropped the cop thing by the second half. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, yeah. And then they're just going to the mind palace or whatever. The the spooky manor on a on a lake. But um, they, they kind of tee it up with Togusa where before they go to the Yakuza office for one of the best scenes ever put to film like the the like he's like I have a wife and kid like please don't get me killed and like you could have him grapple with the fact that his job is inherently dangerous and like he doesn't know that he can do this anymore or something like that but no he he just gets a doll for his uh daughter which they linger on that shot for a fair bit and i'm like oh no is my american girl doll a human too oh fuck mamaroshi you got me questioning reality it was very strange to end it that way that's mamaroshi going see that's a doll too hmm? makes you think and he's raising his eyebrows <laughs> you're making a barbie movie think about the dolls <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gosling is is Bato, and uh, uh, I can't think of her name, but she's Harley Quinn. Is is the major uh, Margot Robbie? Margot Robbie. Robbie. Um, how did we feel about the opening music, like the the sperm hitting the egg, becoming a robot? Um, well, I have some things to say about the animation. Uh, the music is is good. It's very reminiscent. If you haven't heard it, it's very reminiscent of the uh, uh, song for Cyborg or whatever the, the track is called from the original Ghost in the Shell soundtrack. Um, same kind of uh, like choral singing. Um, it's a little bit more heavy with the drums, and I kind of like that there's an intensity that builds up over the course of it. It's like a three-minute piece um, uh, that matches the uh, opening animation. Um I quite like it. I, I think, um, just to maybe put my thoughts about the soundtrack out there, those pieces, I think they're called, it, like I said, it's like um, Song of the Cyborg in the original Ghost in the Shell. In this one, the sequence of tracks um, that have that kind of choral singing to them are called uh, Ballad for a Puppet or Ballad for the Puppets or something like that. Um, those are good, but I think the rest of the soundtrack is great, like genuinely awesome. Very like moody ambient stuff. It's good. Yeah. So the looking at the OST track listing, there are three of these ballad songs. There's the Ballad of Puppets uh, colon Flowers Grieve and Fall. The Ballad of Puppets colon In a New World Gods Will Descend. And then the Ballad of Puppets The Ghost Awaits in the World Beyond. So true. The the Ghost uh, Does Await. And I will say, you know, we, we talked about how last uh, movie had like, I mean. In the context of there being gender stuff, but like it had wedding, like the the song was like a wedding song essentially, and like there was a, a deeper subtext with that. Here, I got a lot more like anger or sort of like resistance out of the songs, which eventually I I got the feeling that it was you know because when you first hear it, you don't really have any context for the greater plot. Um, but then it's like, oh, are they going to have it basically be like the the song is from the perspective of the gynoids and they're talking about their gods, in this case being humans, uh, like leaving them and that their uh, ambitions essentially will 
persist and that it'll i think that one point it says like it'll rise back like fire or something like that um unfortunately they they then don't give too much uh agency or or interniality to any of the doll robots um so i don't know if i'm right i don't know if i'm wrong um but that's really my i didn't read it as like a wedding song or like a peaceful song like it was in the last uh in the last movie yeah definitely very different um uh, in terms of lyrics um as far as the opening animation goes, I think it's it's fine. It's cool. I, I generally like a lot of the stuff in this movie that is like 100% um, 3D CG, which um, is probably the thing that most people are going to not like about this movie because, um, you know, we talked about the first Ghost in the Shell being like fairly well aged for a lot of the like digital techniques that they used in it. This it's not that it's not poorly well aged. It's just it like feels of its time. Um, if you made mm-hmm. this movie now, it j- just the CG would look a lot more uh, like photorealistic, more like uh, less like um, uh, low poly, I guess. Um, but I really dig it. I think it's good. I think a lot of the mood building that's done in the uh, uh, 3D and CG heavy sequences is great, um, including this opening scene. Uh, but I do have some funny notes uh, from the commentary about the um, uh, opening animation, which is originally they didn't want to do it in 3D. They, I didn't write the animator's name down because they only like they mentioned like his first name or like his his family name or whatever. So I, I don't know exactly who they were talking about. But they had one animator they were specifically trying to get to do the opening for them to like contract out for him to do it, and um, they were like waiting for him to have time to do it for like I think they said like a year and a half. And then once they realized it was never going to happen, like the timing wasn't going to work out, um, they didn't have the time to give it to production IG for them to do it in 2d um with cell animation so they had um one of the 3d animation companies they were working with take it from there and they were like it actually worked out perfectly because they delivered it like well within time uh whereas like other parts of the film came together like very much at the last minute um which i guess is maybe also something else to point out that i learned from the commentary track is that sounds like this movie had a pretty um rough production um seems like a lot of things kind of came together as production happened um and less in a way of like the first movie being like them working with a lot of new techniques and moving or like putting a lot of techniques together that prior to this were like being used like kind of one at a time like they were putting the whole kitchen sink in this one it's like more of like a familiar production pipeline they were just trying to do a whole lot and um uh really like went over time on a lot of things and had to cut some things uh there were there were a lot of anecdotal stories in the commentary track about like um certain animators um having to be replaced on the scenes they were working with because they were just taking too long to do it um you know having to have someone else to come in to just finish it quicker um and i think like uh both oshi and uh nishikubo who's on the commentary track as well were like uh yeah there were some pretty rough parts in the production where morale was was pretty low (laughs) and they were all just very happy that they were able to finish it um so the opening being 3d is kind of emblematic of that i guess um one other thing about the opening too is that uh oshi said he often gets comments that it reminds uh people say oh the opening reminds me of that one uh bjork music video which I don't know the name of the song in question, but I could definitely imagine the music video they're talking about. Um, and he was like, yeah, I was filming uh, Avalon, which is a live action film he did in Poland. And someone showed me the video and I went, huh? Um, but he was like, admin, it's like, well, the vibe is very different. And they did theirs mostly in live action and ours was CG. Damn it. Um, he's very <laughs> defensive about the comparison. And is this in 
digiart at this point or uh digipaint um there's Digi-paint, they're me. they're still doing a lot of this with uh cells um and this one um it's similar to the first gits where they're doing a lot of both but they don't have to do as much like digital compositing and stuff like the digital pipeline stuff has like uh smoothed itself out a lot in the nine years uh, that this film got made so they're like doing a lot of similar tricks where it's like oh we're gonna you know do this part on cells and then figure out the rest of it with 3d and, and digital effects but it's not uh as like you know you're not using 90s computers anymore we're working with uh you know 2004 computers power powers changed um, <laughs> but yeah it's, it's still like a mix looking at the wikipedia article I, I point this out just because i think it's the 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 comparison being made is very funny um so apparently oshi was discussing the state of art and animation and said quote i think that hollywood is relying more and more on 3d <laughs> imaging like that of shrek the, the strength behind japanese animation is based in the designer's pencil even if he mixes two th- 2D, 3D, and computer graphics, the foundation is still 2D. Only doing 3D does not interest me. I just love that his go-to, I mean, I guess it's contemporary, is Shrek. Yeah, I I, I have that <laughs> quote uh, screenshotted into my notes um, as well. I was going to bring that up because it is very funny. But he's right. And like, um, you know, to his credit, like, it's not like he's, like, obviously he's working in 3D. Like, in the commentary track, he points out a lot of times where it's like, yeah, this just would not have looked right if we did the scene like entirely 2D. Like this this portion of the frame needed to be done in 3D or we needed to do the lighting uh, using CGI or whatever. Um, so it has like a real like grounded approach to like kind of same vibe I was getting in a lot of the Ghost in the Shell 1 behind the scenes stuff I was looking at, which is like, you know, 3D is a tool that you can use just like 2D animation, cell animation is a tool that you can use and it's knowing when to use the right tool for the job. Um, Apparently... Oshi also credits John Luke Godard uh, for including quotes from other authors. It is so. okay. I did read that quote, and I was like, "This is why I like this movie because he's <laughs> he's not wrong." <laughs> like watching, if you don't know, watching some of John Luke Godard's like earlier movies, like early French New Wave movies, is like what you're saying, Danielle, of like communists like quoting uh, theory at each other. Like John Luke Godard, but also John Luke Godard's doing it very tongue in cheek, where like he's he's putting in those kinds of characters, like spouting off um, quotes from theorists and stuff like that as like a look at these fucking idiots or like, look at these bozos, uh, which you don't get from this movie. This movie is a little bit more earnest about, um, uh, having the characters just like quote philosophy and literature and, uh, religion, uh, religious text at each other. Um, to, to the point of, of it being comedy, if, if we're ready to, to move a little bit forward, uh, oh, please. about 30 seconds after the, uh, the opening, uh, song. So they go to the police station, the local police station that's processing the uh, the gynoid that that Bato fucking obliterated. And they're talking to the whatever whatever officer. Let's call him the, the lieutenant and Mr. Trashcan. Mr. Trashcan, <laughs> Lieutenant Trashcan <laughs> is um, like, hey, like you can't just like you're, we're not gonna let you walk out of here with that body because like it killed two of our officers. And Chogusa says like you know. We're we're the ones who make that determination essentially, um, and they eventually come around to like, yeah, you guys can go investigate forensics, you know, floor whatever, down the hall, whatever. And the officer says, "quote Not even crows will peck at at a persimmon that's green, but you can bet they'll be overhead when it's ripe." And Togusa gets like really mad about that, 
And Bato's like, no, come on, we gotta, you know, we're gonna go. I have no fucking clue what that quote means. Um, I think it's very funny that <laughs> he just kind of unprompted said it. Togusa got, like, really upset about it. They leave, and then Lieutenant Trashcan kicks the trash can. It's, a, it's just a bizarre fucking set of actions and words. Yeah, but boy, does he kick the fuck out of that trash can. <laughs> and I do gotta say, I am a sucker for, like, jurisdiction politics in cop flicks or like procedurals or whatever mm-hmm. it's like yeah like you know we got they're on our case about this you know even in the last movie like section six wants to get in on this but section nine is not letting them or whatever it's like oh yeah just talk for a few minutes about politics yeah yeah like this movie has a lot of like great scenes it's just that like they're not like stitched together very well um it's kind of how I see it, because, like, again, watching the commentary track where they're literally just, like, doing, like, a scene-by-scene breakdown of the movie really puts it into clarity of, like, oh, they really did think, I mean, this is also just how, like, you make an animated movie, right? But, like, they really did think, like, okay, there's this scene, and then that's delineated from this scene, and they're not really thinking about the connective tissue between them uh, as much as just, like, well, the scene where we see this great, like, uh, crowd shot of, like, the, which is great, by the way, the crowd shot you get of as they're walking up the stairs to, like, the upper floor of the uh, main like um atrium of the the police station and there's like all the people that are like waiting to be booked or whatever in the like police lobby and so you've got like but it's like there's a comical amount of people there so it's like very akin to like the street bazaar that's in the uh, first ghost in the shell movie where just like people are having a party on the the first floor of the uh, police station and oh she points out he's like Oh, there's a there's a stripper doing like a strip tease in the the top right corner. I wish we could have kept her in frame for longer. I'm like, ah, you pervy old man. Um, <laughs> you, but, uh, you... <laughs> to me, it was really noticeable like how many more crowd shots were in this film compared mm-hmm. to the original. Because like the original had that like uh, bizarre scene, and that was it. <laughs> like a lot of the other scenes in that movie felt very sparse with the amount of characters, but this really feels like this uh movie was like hey we can do this a lot more now let's do it well oh boy do i have uh things to say about some later crowd shots in the movie um but yeah and then we get the scene where we talked about already with the uh um uh, uh lady uh uh f- forensic uh uh scientist. she has um she has a name too it's like miss oh it's not it's, miss, um, it's like something Hen- henderson it's like haraway because she's named haraway. after um I didn't. I kind of t- talked around it, um, but I didn't really drop it by name. The the piece. It's like a, a feminist cyberpunk text called um, uh, like uh, towards a cyborg body or something. I should probably look it up. But that's the author is uh, something Haraway. Haraway is the last name of like the actual author of that piece. I should have uh, uh, okay. left the Wikipedia page for this movie open because I know it's on there. Um, so I'll get that in a second. But yeah, she's. Um, like we don't have to get into it because it re- like you know we we had to get into it in the first Ghost in the Shell with the gender stuff because it's like what the movie's ultimately about. There's some stupid stuff in this conversation that you already mentioned, Danny, about like her bringing up like having children and and you know children basically aren't even real human beings because they're so distinct from us or whatever. Um, and she mentions like I don't even have my eggs in the egg bank or whatever. It's like a, a TMI lady, but whatever. Um, <laughs> like. <laughs> men trying to write a fucking menopause joke what the fuck is going on yeah and um <laughs> well you want to know something uh fucked up i'm very glad uh it went the way it did because apparently uh something i gleaned from the commentary they um there was kind of like a argument as to how old they wanted to make this character 
and a lot of people were pushing for her to be younger uh, so they could, you know, draw a, a sexy young lady uh, delivering this dialogue or whatever. But I'm like, no, it works so much better that she's like clearly middle-aged. Um, well, yeah. and it's lampshaded by, uh, I think it's Togusa when they get da- back to the, uh, to the car, uh, or I, I don't remember who says it, but like one of them's like, oh, we're not going to see her anymore. Are we? What? I have a thing for older ladies or something like that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. To- Though also, again, not to get too far into gender stuff. It was also very, very strange that as they were leaving, Togusa like pauses and goes like Miss Haraway. And, and she's like, no, it's like, you know, you don't need the miss with me. And in case you're wondering, I don't have any kids <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Like, it's like, it's like why, why, why did Togusa feel the need to ask that? And then, well, he didn't even like directly, he was going to ask that, but she like knew, like, I know you're wondering this. No, I don't have any kids. It's very bizarre. Yeah. But I was going to say, other than that stuff, I really just dig her vibe. She's like chain smoking the whole time. She's like dunking all of her cigarettes in like a glass of water or something gross like that. She's smoking Uh, shrimp flavored cigarettes. Oh, I missed that. That's even better. Uh, Spotted shrimp taste with tobacco and shrimp powder. Hell yeah, queen. Um, Jesus, like incredible futuristic invention of making cigarettes smell worse somehow yeah but she's just <laughs> she's just got this like great vibe to her uh i don't know what it is exactly but i i i was just like enraptured by her presence um and again the whole like you were saying danny where it's like why is she saying all this i was like i don't care like she's on one she's like <laughs> she's just like fucking had one too many things happen to her today she's like fuck it i'm gonna unload on these these two <laughs> section nine bozos uh, while I chain smoke, <laughs> it's funny. Like it's like, and like Bato is saying. Like at one point, she's like, "Oh yeah, uh, you you shot you shot her right as she was about to kill herself." And they're like, "Kill herself? Like what do you mean?" Like shocked by the idea of like a a gynoid sex bot like possessing the like self like the ability to commit suicide. Yeah, and I'm like. Bato King, you literally know someone <laughs> who fused with a consciousness that was born from the net. I think you should be like, oh yeah, I I can see that. Like th- this is not the weirdest thing that you've you've encountered in the last few days, kind of thing. Um, v- very strange. Uh, like kind of reaction to that, and then yeah, she just kind of keeps going, and uh, like, and the best part is. The the scene is like majority just close up on people's face, unreactive. Yeah, it's great. And someone else talking. I'm just like, what is going on? It's these amazing, like there's a couple of them, these amazing like wide angle shots of like, you've got like character and close up on the right side of the frame and then just a real stretched out, like look at the rest of the room on the left side of the frame or like the reverse. And it's just, and, and they just hold on it for like 30 seconds at a time. And it goes back to like what we talked about in the first Ghost in the Shell, which is like, you know, oh, she likes long takes. Like um, there's like, yeah, we if you didn't listen to the last episode for whatever reason, like, you know, Ghost in the Shell has like a third of the number of cuts in it as like something like Akira, and that's because like he likes these like long drawn out takes. So I'm like here for it. I'm like especially like again, detaching like all the dialogue stuff that's happening, like the like aesthetic choices being made in the scene are fantastic. Um I like the like saran wrap, like um uh not even saran wrap, they're like like airtight wrapped like um doll body parts that are like all over the room. Um 
uh, interesting thing that we haven't talked about aesthetically is that this movie trades out a lot of the like neon green, uh, like computer uh, monitor green that's in the first movie for like more of like a uh, orange um, mm-hmm. uh, kind of tone. We've went from Fallout 3 to New Vegas. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, they 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 mentioned they referenced something in the commentary when talking about the the color choices, but um, I like I guess he he's also there, there's oh she talks about how like there's there was like an attempt to bring a bit more of like a retro aesthetic into this movie, like especially like the cars, a lot of the cars are like retro style cars um in this movie, and so I think like the the orange kind of amber uh computer color is is a attempt at that. Um, but I love it. I love the like the orange that that pops throughout the movie and that they use in like the computer visualization stuff but it's also here in the like body bags that these um uh gynoids uh are in um the like feminist the author cold. by the way was uh donna haraway and the piece she okay. wrote is um a cyborg manifesto which was the thing i was talking around last time because I, it was mentioned in that other piece i read but i didn't actually mention it so good on this movie for giving me a reason to mm-hmm. actually shout that out uh, but yeah, i like that the room is cold um, like when they come in, like Tokusa has his like kind of collar up and you can see that his breath and like Lady uh, uh, Haraway is, you know, unbothered by it. Um, I also love that the uh, the movie kind of calls out the fact that she kind of just went off on one when they get back into the car. I think Bato's like, yeah, she had a lot to say, huh? Like, you know, she just wouldn't shut up or you know whatever she he says. And then Toga says, like, she's the type of person who fills out personal comments on forms, but so am I. Or something like that. I'm like, what is <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> this is losing my mind. Uh, don't worry about it, because uh, my next note is just dudes rock. <laughs> because, uh, and Oshi agrees, because the scene I was talking about is just like, it's just Bato and, and Togusa driving. Um, and as the scene starts to happen in the commentary, Oshi's just like, man, I wonder how many shots I've done of people just driving in my movies. And I'm like, yes, Oshi, that's the good shit. Keep doing it. Um, he was like, yeah, I think I did like three or four in Pat Labor 2. I'm like, yeah, that's why that movie fucking whips. Um, lots of great scenes of just characters driving around. I love it. Um, I don't know if this stood out to y'all. Um, uh, but this is kind of what I mean when like they were really like going for it with this movie in a way that almost like derailed the timeline of the project. Um, but like they kind of painstakingly did things like um, putting dirt on the windows of the car um, to try to make that look realistic. And like in later shots in the car with like water droplets, like actually having like reflections in them and stuff like that. Like they really went the, and that's all done. Um, 2d that's not like cg stuff so they had like uh 2d animators like doing like uh dirt and grain on the windows and stuff um and i think it looks great it like this is what i was talking about before it's just like a lot of the mood uh that's set in these shots is just excellent in a way that i can just totally shut my brain off and not care about if the story's good or not because it looks great um which if you can't tell i would definitely recommend watching this with the commentary track if you have it available to you uh, because it's generally one of the best commentaries I've ever listened to. It's like extremely informative. Um, they talk about the parts of the film that are actually interesting, which is the like aesthetic production of it. And um, there's no breaks, which is always my big beef in a commentary where like whoever whoever's doing the commentary just kind of shuts up or stops talking about the movie. They just keep going like from from start to finish. Um, hmm. Pretty great. Um, 
let's see. So then I think after this point we get to so they're like you said they're driving, and then like they they have like a little program that's like car tra- tra- like if there's like if they're being tailed I guess. Um, and then Bato gets out of the car and then like starts walking one direction, then kind of doubles back after he sees yeah. Togusa leave. So like. He's covering his tracks completely to get to, I think they call it his love nest later, which I love, uh-huh. but, um, and we meet the best character in, uh, the, the movie and maybe any movie ever, ever. It's true. The, uh, the dog, we, the basset hound named Gabriel, who, uh, is named after, uh, Mamoru Oshii's own basset hound that he had at the time. Oh my God. Named Gabriel. <laughs> um, who he had back in, I forgot to mention this, um, that he's uh, had that bat, like, I think by the time they made this movie, that Basset Hound's, like, old, um, like a pretty old dog, and um, so he had that bas- that same Basset Hound at the time they were making the original Ghost in the Shell, and I meant to mention it last time, but there are multiple shots in um, Ghost in the Shell 1 with Basset Hounds in them. Um, there's uh, one that's, like, a zoom-in on the TV set in the guy's apartment who's like, what do you mean? I have a wife and kids at home. And then they cut to his home, and it's just a one-bedroom apartment. And you see a Basset Hound on the TV. There's a Basset Hound on one of the, like, water walkway bridges in the montage shot of, like, uh, Mokoto, like, traveling through the city uh, at the midpoint of the film. Um, and I think it's a basset hound, like one other place in the in the movie. Uh, but it's kind of Oshi's thing to to put a basset hound in like all of his productions. Um, I don't, other than like maybe like it's not like there's a basset hound in every like episode of uh, Urusei Yatsura that he worked on. But like I think like every movie he ever made has at least one basset hound in it somewhere. And this one he was like, fuck it, B- basset hounds, core to the story. Um, Who. Who is like very much like animated almost like differently from anything else, like a lot more like vibrancy in the movement, I think. It's um, so good. It, it reminds so me good. also <laughs> it, it's it reminds me of um you describing Mamoroshi always having a basset hound makes me think of the author of uh Way of the House Husband has a uh, a Shiba Inu, and as a result there's like a Shiba Inu like in a lot of different parts of that. Uh, manga and like the the afterword for every volume is like see if you can find the shiba inu my shiba inu likes bloody sandwiches or something like that um which for the record i would also watch a way of the house husband like show but it's just a big cyborg guy and his dog because he's like he's so cute about it. like it's very big like dad who says we can't get a dog who becomes like immediately attached to the dog like yes uh, togusa or, or ishikawa's like you should switch to dry food like why are you always getting wet food and then like bato's like it's a it's gabriel's favorite i have to get it for her and i have to lift her eel her ears out of oh the, my god the dog bowl when she starts eating and i'm like oh my god this is adorable that is the most precious thing in the world when Bato like puts the food bowl down and then the dog puts its snout in and Bato's got to lift the big floppy ears out of the way so she doesn't <laughs> get food on him. Um, and then there's like, I love the shot of like the the dog like um, uh, putting her like um, like face into like Bato's side like before she like jumps up on top of him and falls asleep. And then the the shot of the dog like looking at um the like sphere that's got like the big fish in it <laughs> um mm-hmm. which oshi points out like you know if they had the technology to make one of those i bet it would sell <laughs> just like immediately like like jaded like nihilist like I, I bet they would they would sell merch of that if they could mm-hmm. um, he also you mentioned the dry food thing um i don't know if this is why that's like a, a 
plot point in the movie, but um, uh, in the commentary, they're talking about Basset Hounds, um, which is good stuff. Uh, I, I think I put it in my notes that like the section where the two of them are talking about the Basset Hound animation is like worth it alone to listen to the commentary track for. Um, but Oshi points out that... Um, well, he says like, oh yeah, so I feed Gabriel only wet food and she doesn't slobber as much because of it. But if you feed them dry food, they slobber more or something like that. Because like the other guy is like talking about like, oh, I would never want a dog like that. I wouldn't want all that slobber all over me. And it's like, well, if you if you feed it the good shit, <laughs> it's not going to slobber. Um, well, I just love that it, it becomes like a plot point in the movie. The reason that he is able to be hacked and tailed yeah. later is because he always goes to this one store that's the only store that has uh, wet food. Uh, though it, when it's framed earlier, Ishikawa's like, <laughs> you know, but really, nutritionally, I think it's best if you go with uh, the dry food or whatever. And it's just like a bunch, it's a bunch of like divorced dads talking about like feeding their dog or something like that. It's very, <laughs> very like, imagine them around like a grill barbecuing, but they're just talking about dog, you know, dry food versus wet food or whatever um i forgot what happens after that uh, he does the dog stuff and then my brain just kind of was stuck in dog <laughs> mode for the rest of the movie i think um is that when they go to the yakuza thing next um yeah i think so um or maybe maybe the dog scene is after they do the i oh because they i guess I, I didn't write any notes about that that's funny um uh the so like they they leave the um uh forensics office and then like they're about to like okay i guess we gotta we're gonna go home that's when they get like the call it's like oh there's another murder uh that we need y'all to check out um which i guess there's things to say about that scene i i just like a good like let's go to the scene of a crime type of scene in one of these sort of procedural stories it's also like the one i mean he's in other scenes but like it's when ishikawa from the first movie um uh enters into the plot and i i love him still just love his vibe uh they talk about the commentary how like ishikawa looks like the kind of guy that's like got like a like a very specific like hobby interest like they're like what do you think is he like a he's like a car guy is he like a you know literature guy um they don't really come to a conclusion but they're like he's definitely got something that he's really into uh, i'm like yes i agree um but the uh i don't know uh, the actual like investigation scene there's not much to say there's some plot details that happened it's like a cool design space the animation is great um in that scene they talk about one uh cut in particular it's when like he's got a name but he's not like a character from the last movie they like they're there before like kind of like their main forensics team comes in to like take swabs and stuff um and when that team comes in they're kind of led by this one guy who's got like a really like elongated head it's like a great design and the animation of him and his team walking into the uh, building, it's like, you know, like a less than 10 second shot. Um, but the, the animation is like super like the, the movement is, is all like super fine detailed and stuff. It's great. And they talk about how the animator that worked on that scene like turned in one shot that was like pretty good. But uh, one of the animation directors like, no, you need to redo that. And it's like. <laughs> but it took me so long to do this you want me to redo it <laughs> and they were like yeah we feel we feel bad about making that guy uh, redo it um seems like a lot of people who worked on this movie were kind of worked to death in a way that's like kind of unfortunate like um they talked about one person that like i don't think it was that animator but they talked about one animator that literally like needed to like take a three-month break because they had just worked themselves to a point of exhaustion and it's like that's stuff that just 
happens everywhere in the uh, anime industry back in 2004 and still now, but like, um, you know, you don't like to hear those kinds of stories. It's not great. Um, and then I guess if the, the funny thing is like this, they, they joke about it at the end of the movie in the commentary of like, this movie's not really like a whodunit. It's not really like asking you to put like clues together on your own kind of thing. So it's so funny thinking back to that uh, investigation scene at this mansion and like Bato pulls out the photo of the girl that is the little girl at the end of the movie when they rescue the girls who are being ghost dubbed um, because the guy who owned that mansion is the guy that reprograms the dolls so that they can commit the murders in the first place in the hope that it leads to the girls being discovered and freed, which does happen at the end of the movie. Um, but it's such a like small detail that Bato picks up the the picture and like takes it with him that it's like it it doesn't come back around until the very end of the movie, so it's not like a you know it's not like an Agatha Christie murder where you're trying to keep track of all those details in your head. You're just like ah well if that matters it'll come back. Like I don't need to think about it too hard. It, um, yeah, almost to the point where it's the opposite. Where at the end when they're like, oh Mister uh, walks and said that you would come, I went who. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Who told you that? It's so silly. So, so yeah. Then they, uh, they're all talking about ominous stuff and about how, uh, this Waxen guy may have been killed by the yakuza. So then they go to the yakuza bar. Hell yeah, and, they do. <laughs> and Togusa's like, "Hey, we're just going there to talk, right?" And Bato's like, well, what did I say? To go to a Yakuza bar, you don't need to be Yakuza, but you do need a lot of heat because he has this big fucking gun. Um, and it's a, a mini-me uh, is the specific type of like uh, uh, machine gun it is. They point out in the commentary because, of course, Oshi and this other animation director are both like gun otaku in a way that they can, they can name all the guns that are in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, yeah, th- thus leads to just uh, the best fucking uh, gunfight comedy scene. It's great. Other than like the end of the mo- the big action scene at the end of the movie, it's like the most action you get in like the first like hour of the movie. Um, but yeah, it's great. They they come in on these yakuza guys and they're eating like a giant fried fish. Like they've got a giant fried fried fish that's taking up like an entire table that they're like all pecking away at. And Oshi points out in the commentary that he saw, um, while they were making this movie, I presume, saw Spirited Away, which there's a shot in that movie where um, characters are like eating a giant fried fish. And he was like, I saw that and I thought that fish would taste nasty. And so when when storyboarding the scene, I was like, make it bigger than Miyazaki. <laughs> so he's like trying to one up Miyazaki's nasty oh my God. fried fish. And then knowing that, like, eventually they had to get help from Ghibli to finish the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it better. That's very funny. Um, but yeah, I do love that, like, <laughs> they go in and <laughs> Bato says, like, one sentence and it immediately sets all the Yakuza off. It's like it's like when you're playing Skyrim and you, like, pickpocket something and, like, an entire room of people are already alert to you and just suddenly everybody's aggroed on you. It's like Bato does that. And then they they kill these people and Tugus is like, well, so much for for talking. He's like, hey, I did try to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I tried my best. God. And then uh, Bane comes out. Yes. Where... <laughs> <laughs> they fight a Batman villain. Yeah, he's just like this roided up dude that uh, 
you know, Bato basically, you know, easily, uh, absolutely dicks on, uh, and then rips out his little head brain controller thing, um, which kind of sets up maybe a little bit the fact that you can plug into someone in the back of the head and like control them. I think it's the first time we see that here where he's like wiggling like a joystick and the guy's head moves and he, he rips it out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, there's an interesting part where one of the Yakuza guys like throws um, throws two grenades and uh, Toga says like you know point man because Bato keeps telling people all right point man you go ahead um, and uh, you know Toga says like I saw my wife and daughter like flash before my eyes. And of course, Bato can't fucking hold himself back. He's like, "That was the angel of death." <laughs> when we are, we're all puppets, or you know, whatever. he doesn't say that part, but um, <laughs> the, it's so stupid. But um, then they they interrogate that the yakuza guy. But uh, uh, I'm being vague, by the way, about what information they get from each of these people, because honest to god, I don't remember, um, and I don't think I knew even while watching it. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, I like the movie was losing me as it went on, and I just like I. Part of it was just like I was absolutely not in the right headspace for a movie like this when I was watching it, but like God, was it just like more and more shit piling up, and I'm, me just being like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever, can we finish this already? Yeah, because well, like, like those extra ten minutes compared to the original are fucking an excruciating ass ten minutes more. <laughs> Well, in the because the like like you said, Austin, it's not like a whodunit where you're following these like breadcrumbs, like and piecing together a larger picture. It almost only makes sense in hindsight, which I think exactly watching it twice would make it better. Um, but because I was so confused the first time, I don't really feel inclined to watch it a second time. Um, well, so not like it matters, but I can't help you out because I do know what the guy tells them. Because again, it's it's one of those things. It's like it's not presented as like a clue that you can kind of start to piece the mystery together yourself. It's only something that like comes back at the end, and you go like, ah, oh, okay, that like I watched. Um, Obviously, I watched the movie twice to watch the commentary, but I also rewatched the ending scene a couple times um, just to like, you know, because essentially what happens at the end of the movie to jump ahead a little bit is like Mokuto, the major, like explains the plot of the movie to Bato in like two sentences. Like she just she tells him like, this is what all this meant, Bato, by the way, in case you didn't know. Um, and so what the the Yakuza boss says is he's like, because like Bato's there to interrogate him about like the guy that got murdered um and like the other like the murders in general but most of the guy that like just got murdered that they you know thought was like a yakuza hit and um or framed to look like a yakuza hit they're not sure and the yakuza boss is like i don't know shit about that like they just like installed me as head of this thing like three months ago like i was in the slammer before now so the whole point of that is like he's he's basically like you know like unaware of the situation and you know it comes back that like the company that is making these dolls found out that the walkinson guy um changed their programming to allow them to kill people in the way that they've been doing um and so they have him killed by framing it to look like he killed the um previous yakuza boss um and so this new guy is just the guy they replaced him with and he's like, I don't fucking know. I just got out of prison and they replaced me as the the old guy. Like you want to ask the you, you want to ask the old guy, but he's dead. So I can't tell you shit. 
Like that's the whole point of the scene. But again, because it's not like a whodunit, these aren't like well laid clues where you don't really understand that until the end that you like he says that you're like, okay, <laughs> that was a useful dead end that we just <laughs> found ourselves in. Um Yeah, it's it's not like, oh, there's only one man who could have orchestrated this or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they they kind of do that with, with Kim, but Kim also kinda of comes out of nowhere. But um but yeah, so the the main the main uh, consequence of this scene is that a we get a, a another cliche cop thing that I kind of dig the like you're a loose cannon scene yeah. uh, followed by Bato being like but don't worry the chief's not really mad at us because otherwise we'd be on desk duty it's like all right cool like we're like I love that sure whatever um, and then by doing so but by uh, by kind of kicking the the uh, the hornet's nest with this yakuza attack, uh, Bato is 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 e hacked, e brain hacked, ghost hacked. Right. Before we get to that, though, I did write down one other thing about the yakuza shootout scene. Um, uh, some quotes uh, because, <laughs> like, um, like Bato's like he's got one granted very big machine gun, but versus like. 15 20 yakuza dudes and like no offense to togusa but togusa is not really doing much here in this situation um uh and at one point the guys are like the yakuza guys are like blinded and they go the son of a bitch hacked our eyes <laughs> just like that's <laughs> fucking great and then after like like bato's like dispensed with this whole room full of yakuza dudes uh, he just goes blame those cheap ass cyber brains of yours <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's very good uh i love uh uh Bato just being like the most like I don't play by the rules kind of cop. Like it's good. Um like you said, he's a loose cannon. Um uh and then yeah he gets um uh cyber hacked or, or ghost hacked um in the convenience store scene. Um which uh what did y'all what did y'all make of the scene? I really like the convenience store scene. I we are talking about the convenience store scene and not the other time where people get mind hacked, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the the first one. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, no, I really liked it. Um, I honestly think I would have liked it more if it was uh, more just um, Bato being paranoid as hell because that's what the, um, how I was interpreting how the, uh, mm. how it was like, how the shots were. Still liked it though. Like it was very like effectively unsettling in a way. Yeah, I totally yeah, agree. I my only issue with it is that we kind of discussed this last episode about how I really dig um how hacking and like the the net is almost like a physical thing like that, you know, people have to like plug their wires into and and all that. This starts to veer a little bit towards like hacking as magic. Like, oh yeah, we just hacked your brain because I can just do mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Like if the major were to do it, I, you know, okay, I can, like, yeah, a a being that is, like, of the net probably could fuck around like that, um, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily understand, I don't think it's, it's seeking to be understood, uh, but, like, because Kim can just be like, yeah, I, I, I e-hacked you or whatever, it's like, okay, well, like, why... Why didn't he make him just blow his brains out? Like Bato literally says that, and like by the end, I don't really understand why the like they didn't do that. But um, yeah, but uh, the scene in principle 
I do like, uh, you know, the whole, like, you know, you can't really trust what you see all the time. Um, I like how the major has a cat in her backpack um, in the scene. Her, 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 the person that she's like represented as is a little like old lady or whatever that has a backpack that has a cat in it. Yeah, which is cool. Um, but yeah, no. Other than that, it's a good scene. It's, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, literally, he is being. It is impossible for him to have been shot from the angles that are like being described here. So then, like the grand reveal that it was all a brain dream, is is pretty neat. Yeah. And just like the build up to it, like you said, Danielle, like the sense of like paranoia that they create is, is really good. And I feel like I would attribute, um, even before I listened to the commentary track where Oshi and Nishikubo also attribute this to it, is um, the fact that the entire convenience store was done in 3D and it's the characters that are the, the only like cell uh, parts of the uh, of the scene, but the actual like environment of the shot is all done in 3D and apparently that was very painstaking for them to do. But it really does help create this like, because it stands in such like contrast to the rest of the movie that you like the second he enters the convenience store, you're just like something's up, like something's not right. And then you you hold with that and these long kind of slow, uh, almost slow-mo shots of him, like taking the dog food off and like checking out the like family and, and other people that are shopping in the store. Um, it's good. And then the way it kind of like all ends and like the way they like deteriorate his like cyber vision uh, as he's like about to kill the convenience store clerk uh, before Nishikawa or Ishikawa comes in and um, uh, gets him out of the cyber hack. Um it's all great and you know another one of the things are like they talk about how the animator that worked on that scene saw like what they did uh with cg to like degrade his like vision and stuff like that and basically just like but my animation looks so good and now you can't see as much (laughs) Uh, just like people really sad about all the hard work they did that eventually gets like covered up by the uh the cg work um yeah great scene again like like i said i feel like this movie is a much better like collection of scenes than it is like yeah, then it comes out in, like, the sum of its parts. Um, but, like, what a great scene. Uh, I had not thought about your point, Danny, of, like, um, it kind of feeling incongruous with a lot of the other uh, way that the cyberbrain stuff is handled in this movie, or these movies, um, about it feeling way more tactile and, like, other than the major and um, uh, the puppet master in the first movie. Like, you know, feels like those were exceptions, and now this movie's kind of fudging with those rules a little bit, but it didn't bother me Yeah as i was watching it so it's mostly okay yeah this um, this this one didn't bother me as much the um the shit with uh the wacky manner uh went on a little long okay. and that's when i started being like why are we doing this but <laughs> well um, okay we'll get to that then <laughs> yeah uh, uh, pretty soon actually but then, uh, cause the second half of the movie will go by pretty quick yeah and uh Bato has to update his arm drivers, which was the funniest line in the movie, I think, for me. It's, it's like, you got to update your drivers so that you're, you're not, like, so that it's not going to cause issues or something like that. So you get, like, your fine motor skills back. And I'm like, hell yeah, update your drivers, Bato. Otherwise, you're right. going to be unreliable and crash. Uh, and this is basically the last scene before the, the second half of the movie starts, which is like Bato like getting his arm fixed and they're like debriefing after the, the brain hack. And this is when Aramaki's like, you got to go up north to the the factory. But this is also where we learned that like while Bato was out, uh, Togusa was taking care of Gabriel. Um, and I don't remember the context in which he says it, but like Ishikawa has the line, I may look gruff, but I have a soft spot for dogs. <laughs> 
just like i love Ishikawa. he's such a like minor character but man he steals every scene for me Um, well i think between both movies he doesn't really get like an introduction like in the first movie he just appears and then here he's like well i was in the last movie uh yeah yeah, no he says um something to the effect of when i thought of that dog being alone Uh, howling for its lost master starving and covered in its own shit i just couldn't help it like i i got too sad uh i may look gruff but i i do have a soft spot for dogs kind of thing um yeah and yeah, he he's like playing with the dog's face, like stretching out the skin, like back and forth. It's very cute. It's very cute. Um, and unfortunately, um, oh, she says that at one point they were gonna do a scene in between these two where you would see Togusa taking care of uh, Gabriel uh, in Bato's absence, um, but that they had to cut it for time, both in terms of like um, production schedule, but also like it would have put the movie too long to add an extra scene like that. Uh, but real missed opportunity to have more dogs. Um, and again, lots of great dog animation in the scene. Um, but that's kind of like the bookend for the first half of the movie. Um, and then at this point we move to, uh, Northern territory city, whose name I did not put in my notes and does not matter. Which Um, I, I'm, uh, we're kind of curious if it's supposed to be like, almost kind of representing another country or, or something. Um, like, the aesthetics are very different. Like, the whole festival, mm-hmm. like, the aesthetics are very different. And also, I got thrown off. Uh, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but it ties into here. When they are going to the ship, the the Locus Solus thing, um, and, like, the security officer person is, like, hidden or, or uh, is, like, being, they're being hacked, and it's like, oh, we're getting, like, unknown hackers or whatever. I don't think they're speaking Japanese at that no, point. Like they're speaking it was either uh, Cantonese. Cantonese, yeah, okay. I, th- I thought so. I was like, definitely not Japanese. I couldn't tell if it was Korean or, or Cantonese or, or Mandarin or anything like that. Um, but yeah, no, I was like, so is this, are, are they supposed to be in like analogous to China area? I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the kind of imagery that's being used in the festival itself um to know whether or not where well, where it pulls its influence from the production the production director m- might have said something <laughs> uh well for two things um this doesn't get said in the the commentary or anywhere but they do at one point like mention like um this city that they're going to used to be like a like special economic zone or something like that which made me think of both like hong kong and um uh macau uh, yeah and like um like shanghai um mm. Uh, places like that although like aesthetically it doesn't look like like shanghai at all um but it it does kind of look like the oh at one point this was like a technological like the height of technology kind of city and now it's like it, it it's a little bit more seedy and kind of like a vestige of like a, a different time um and then as far as the festival stuff goes that stuff they specifically they went to um a festival like a summer festival in taipei they complain on the commentary track about how um uh how hot it was uh at the time of year that they mm. went uh, but that that's what that is like largely uh based off of and there's also some other um chinese and japanese stuff that make their way into some of the aesthetic choices that they made in terms of like the um like uh festival um like um uh, floats and, and stuff like that um it's kind of an amalgam of different things um, um so yeah there's in my mind there's basically like three scenes in the second half of the movie. I mean, there's more than that, but there's, there's like three scenes worth talking about. Um, the first one is the festival scene, which we kind of already started talking about. Um, 
I think the scene's like incredible. Um, again, just great like tone and mood setting. Um, the 3D animation in this is gorgeous, but also so is the 2D animation. Um, this uh, was not surprising to hear in the commentary, but like there's so there's a lot of um, background animation, like like tiny tiny characters in the background of this big grand like street parade festival that's going on. Um, and it, apparently it killed the animators to work on this uh, scene because, um, you know, they didn't want to, like, just have static backgrounds where characters uh, in, like, the, the far background aren't moving. Um, so you had to do all these these minor little like, animations for all these characters in the background. And not all of them in the background are moving, but, like, I think they said about, like, 30% of them were animated. Um, but it's extremely impressive. It looks great. Um, big fan of it. But I don't know. What, what did y'all think about the, the festival? Oh, it fucking rules. Yeah. yeah. No place in the movie, I feel, but it fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. I, my thoughts went back to the scene in the first one where Major is, like, looking up at, uh, she's on the boat and, like, looking up at all the, the different stuff and uh, she sees herself and, and all that. And that scene worked for me because uh, in addition to the, the kind of mood that it was setting, it also... Uh, you know, kind of gave a little more insight into the major's struggle with self-identity. Here, visual delight, love to see it, um, though I don't think it was very congruous with what happens next. Like, the fact that, uh, like, immediately after all of this, like, you, you barely see Bato and, and Togusa, and immediately after it, they're, they're beating the shit out of uh, some <laughs> hacker guy that Bato knows that he insists on being called Sir. Um so very different, like it was. It just it was a weird transition to have here. Though I get like they're like, oh, you're in a new area. You have to kind of set the local vibes. Um, but just kind of weird that those local vibes didn't then come into play somehow. They didn't have like a chase scene. Now they have to run through the festival, cause, and it's all crowded or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, we just ne- almost needed like a. We needed the opposite of the bird in citizen kane where <laughs> like we need to like just vibe for a minute yeah well like i talked about with both angels egg and this movie like every oshi film has at least one scene where it just like zooms out from the plot and you're just gonna bask in some vibes and maybe it like like with the one in the first ghost in the shell maybe it like also kind of informs like a character's headspace but maybe it's also just like damn we got kenji Kawai to do the soundtrack for this movie isn't kenji Kawai fucking great um and you're, <laughs> just gonna, you're just gonna vibe to that soundtrack and the great animation um and it's good um and then yeah after this it it really doesn't matter. This was not one of the three scenes that uh, I was thinking of where they uh, like uh, beat up a guy for information. Like this guy is not set up at all, and he does not matter. He just leads them to the next scene. Um, they talk about in the commentary how like oh well, maybe if this movie was was going to be two hours long we'd have set this character up, but it was a ninety minute movie, so we didn't have time to do that. And it's like okay, fair. Um, they also talk about how they were at one point going to do, because like during the, the festival scene, you do see a couple shots of um, Bato and Togusa traveling through the crowd. They're like wearing um, like headgear. Um, so kind of they don't they don't stand out, which I think is great other than the one shot where like Bato looks towards the camera. <laughs> uh, but in the other shots, like they're not really like they don't stand out more than anybody else um, in the frame. Uh, 
apparently there was going to be a couple of shots where Bato and Togusa were going to like go to a food stall and like be eating like food as they walk around. And I'm just like, I want the cute Togusa Bato on a date uh, scenes. We were robbed. Uh, but <laughs> whatever, it didn't fit the pacing of the scene or some bullshit. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, the, the that takes us to uh, the next big scene in the second half, which is the like dollhouse mansion scene um which it's a long scene but it's pretty simple like they're 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 following their leads they're going to this this guy who's like i said in my five sentence summary going to tell them where the final uh scene of the movie takes place so they can go there um (laughs) that's all you really need to know um but it plays out several times like it repeats recurs it's like a loop um it starts when like uh you know Togusa looks into a dollhouse replica of the house they're in and then it zooms in and then the scene starts to repeat again and we get these great repetitions. Bato sees like the major um, in the form that she was in at the end of the first movie along with like a little mechanical Gabriel um, giving him clues as to like hey you're being brain hacked right now or this isn't really happening Um, which lets him realize that oh I'm being brain hacked and takes him and Togusa out of it or whatever. Um, I think it's great. Uh, I love this. I love this like repeating scene. I love the loops. Um, uh, I love seeing like what's different in each each scene. I think that's just a fun motif. It doesn't really like, especially like the character that they're talking to, Kim, who his whole thing is like, it's really not worth talking about, but his whole thing is like he's in like like a purposely put himself in what they call like an invalid body. Um, so like he's like in like a chair and like is immobile, but. I don't know. Like, again, it's not really worth talking about. It doesn't really connect well with the rest of what the movie's trying to do. Um, but I just like the the tone of the scene. I think it's... And like you said, Danny, like, it, it goes on to a point where it's almost, like, comedic. And to me, it was. And I like that about it. And, like, because by the end of it, like, the, like, last loop through like they're being like bombarded by like fire from like a battleship uh off um offshore um (laughs) it's just like ridiculous um there's like a a giant machine sculpture leg that's that's in front of the mansion that's like extremely like ominous uh it's just good i like it it says uh homo ex machina man from from uh from machine Uh, i think you mean uh gay cinemason ding <laughs> roll credits um <laughs> the uh yeah i i didn't love this scene i i think uh again at this point i was completely unmoored i didn't know who kim was and i still kind of don't like i don't know why like i guess he has connections to to locus solus but like i didn't i, I at this point i was still kind of unmoored as to <laughs> who yeah. Lucas Solis was. And I was like, oh, wait, is Kim the one behind this then? But he's not. He's just kind of vibing. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they're kind of going through the the repeats, which, like, whatever. But the problem is, like, the bookends to all of it are, like, them just quoting philosophy at each other. Like, all throughout this, they're, they're doing oh, it's that. It's so stupid. <laughs> and then they bring up the golem and, um, like, mm-hmm. Jewish mythology, um, which I knew from a Jacob Geller video. About Same. The... I, w- I, I was like, <laughs> Jacob Geller prepared me for this movie. Thank you, Jacob. It's like, it's, it's spelled, it spells out knowledge, but then when you take away the first letter or two, it becomes death. Um, because on each then that happens on each of the loops, like the like you said, the things that are changing each time. The first, when they walk in, it says like Amalith, whatever the the word is. Uh, I don't know it. 
Um, and then the second time through, it just says like Meleth, which is death. And then the last time through, it's 2501, I believe is the code. The, the code from the last movie where she says that if you see this code, you'll know it's me. Um, and, and then he kind of snaps out of it. Um, I did like the fact that uh, in every iteration of the loop, Bato walks in. To, like, Togus is like, oh, we have a corpse here. It looks like his, his, he was trying to hack something and his brain was fried. Um, and <laughs> Bato walks in and, like, flips the chair. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. Um, he, you know, then he comes to life. But again, it's just, like, all of the, the hacking, the the e-hacking stuff doesn't really work for me just because it's like how how is he hacking them is it just like a general connection to the net i don't know but like put that aside um i don't know why they're there i don't know i don't know what really they do to him they like take his like they take a bunch of wires out of his head but then they're using him later to like hack into it's very confused or at least confusing to me at that point and I, you could, in theory, do what you're supposed to do with Ava and, like, kind of hand wave away all of, like, the proper noun hacking words and, like, all that. But that's really, that's all there kind of is. Like, that's yeah. that's not what they're hanging the story off of. That's kind of the story right now. Um, So it just didn't really work for me. I did like the architecture. I liked the CG. I like that yeah. the environment is CG and, like, it's supposed to feel kind of otherworldly. Um, I, di- I didn't make a note of it, but I kind of got that feeling that, like, any time they're in a space that's supposed to be like uh unnerving or otherworldly or liminal or whatever um that they have cg just kind of highlight that and i like all of the little like tableaus that you see of like you know i don't know like feathers or like surrounding yeah, the hol- a dinner the hologram pigeons yeah like john woo is there or something but um <laughs> it's it's well, they, just they're a, frozen in a, in a john woo frame <laughs> exactly frame of a john movie. exactly um so yeah, it didn't quite work for me. It's one of those things that I can appreciate, but it just kind of at this point I was uh, just completely unmoored and and confused and scared, um, but also a little aroused. <laughs> yeah, this this is where the movie lost me too. Like it's just, I guess it's like just because of like how hard of a break it was from the first half, I was like, all right, I'm no longer very interested in what the film is going for. Because, like, I usually do love, like, those repeated sequence type things, but it just wasn't working in this movie for me. Um, maybe because it, like, it feels like it's kind of just comes out of nowhere. Like you were saying how, um, a lot of the film feels like it's separate scenes stitched together without any care for the, um, what stitches it together. Yeah, it feels like he had a very specific idea for the scene, but didn't have a great way to connect it and just said eh, fuck it they interrogate some guy that tells him hey go to this cool scene i created um <laughs> uh, is i believe how they made i think it might have been all of them but i i i for some reason the third one sticking out in my head i believe that's how they made the uncharted games as well where um in uncharted 3 i think they said basically like uh yeah we knew what set pieces we wanted to have everything in between there was like inconsequential <laughs> like yeah we want nathan drake to escape from a sinking cruise ship how he gets there and where he goes next i don't give a fuck that actually kind of rules i want the job of the guy that's got to figure out how do we go from the sick airplane uh action set piece to this underwater action set piece yeah i'm kind of here for it i I was gonna say so what you're saying is is uh gets one is the phantom menace of anime and gets two is the uncharted three of anime (laughs) Not quite. We're going to get to a comparison that I have for the oh. end of this movie. 
Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> is, is it the attack of the clones of anime? I can't wait to find out. <laughs> oh, you'll see. Uh, definitely not the attack of the clones uh, of anime. This movie's not that good. Um, is my is my take um though it's weird I will our, say, our, um, our retention went down to zero around the uh <laughs> the minute the hour mark everybody sh- shut off at the podcast the exact same part um uh, i was gonna say we we kind of talked around it but we didn't literally say it is that the first half of the movie is like extremely like neo-noir um yes which is part of the reason why I'm, I'm so here for this movie is the first half of the movie just visually is so strong because it, it crafts that aesthetic really well and does neo-noir and anime in, in a way that I think like uh, better than a lot of other things I've seen that have attempted to do that. Like it's been a while since I saw it, um, but uh, Watanabe, I think along with, with our, our good friend Keji Kamiyama did that uh, Blade Runner uh, not talking about the new show. They did like a Blade Runner short as like a tie-in yeah. for the the Blade Runner sequel movie, and that to me was like a disappointment of like, eh, I see you're trying to go for like the same like cyberpunk neo noir thing that the original Blade Runner did, but it's not quite working for me. This fucking works for me. This is like, oh, if you got this team to make like a uh, Blade Runner movie in this same kind of aesthetic mode, it would whip. It'd be so good. Uh, well, because it it like commits to the cliche, I guess, uh, wholly earnestly. Like, and I think in the Wikipedia article, at least, uh, Oshi is describing it as like things from his childhood. But the fact that like kind of without explanation, and I think it's different in the first movie. All the cars are like nineteen fifties roadsters. Yeah, um, it's a bunch of people just like standing around, like talking, like talking past each other like just quoting philosophy at each other but without like really like that's something i kind of associate with like neo-noir where it's just like people who already have their own kind of worldview and they're just talking past each other um and you know you have the grizzled men who have a soft spot for a dog or a family or whatever uh it, it really engages with it like the steamy streets i don't know if bato ever has a fedora but he probably does in his closet <laughs> or something but like i need to i need to see him in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah it, it really kind of dedicates itself to the thing in a way that's very earnest and very like it reads as if oshi i, I don't know but like watched like neo-noirs which were a mm-hmm. thing in japan like i've you know, on the Criterion oh, yeah. Collection, they have, you know, pl- I, I saw a, uh, a cult is my passport, which was a, a hoot. Um, but but yeah. Uh, and then the second half is just none of that. It's absolutely not that. Yeah. And um, it, it's kind of a shame as much as I like the like mansion clockwork uh, Groundhog Day <laughs> uh, bit um, and, and like the parade scene and um, some of the stuff about the actual like finale. Like it is like the second half of the movie is definitely not as strong visually as the, the first half. Um, I, I need um, like that scene to happen to Togusa. And then Bato comes in. Cause he like, maybe it was another part of the, the building or something. And he comes in and just shoots someone like without saying anything, he just starts mm-hmm. shooting. That's, that's the level that he would need to operate on to, to, to reclaim the, the scene as it stands. He just plugs a joystick <laughs> into Togusa's brain. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I have to say about the um, that scene is um, I mentioned it before, but uh, Kenji Kawai's music is really good in that scene. Um, it's like he so he literally wrote a piece on um, it's uh, like a disc type music box um, where you literally like 
puncture holes into like a metallic disc and then that plays on like a very specific piece of equipment where it like reads the the notes through the holes in the disc or whatever they like got like a company to make them a music box for the movie and everything um it's great it's a great piece of music but the best part about it is um so it's playing in this big wide open mansion so it's very like boomy it's very echoey um the problem is is those actual music boxes are not very loud and if you just you know close mic'd it and then like uh amped it up a whole lot you would get a lot of the background noise and it, it just wouldn't sound great if you did that so what they did which is amazing and this is not like you know people did this kind of things for other productions and stuff but it's just great that they went the extra mile for this they went to a quarry um in japan and brought out like real expensive 5.1 speakers of recording equipment into this quarry and recorded them playing back the original recording of the music box track so that way they could get all of the echoes and reverberations in this big like empty quarry um like an underground quarry um so some great shots in the behind the scenes featurette of them going and doing this um and it really like adds to the atmosphere. Like it's like you know the the CG does a lot, but the music also does a lot to really um, craft the the tone and the mood that they're going for. Um, and I think it's it's great. And Kenji Kawai should score every anime movie, IMO. Um, now, now, do you think that it was the same Corey from Power Rangers? I thought that I they mention the exact. I, not the quarry, but where in Japan they went to in the commentary track. And I definitely thought I should look this up and see if this is one of the many shooting locations that they have for like tokusatsu shows. Um, Cause they do fill with those kinds of locations often, but I, I did it um, from what I could tell. It's like way more like subterranean in the footage I saw in the behind the scenes. Um, so it didn't remind me of any specific toku scene uh, that I've seen, but uh, I, I also would not be surprised toku filming locations are one of those things where it's like you know they'll film in them a bunch and also like you know there's only so many locations that they can film scenes in in japan for for toku shows so they they show up a lot um but uh that was a production detail i liked a lot um and then yeah kim tells them where the final plot of the movie is going to happen which is a offshore boat factory uh or weird phrasing all that they have turned a boat into a big factory for these gynoids. I think the implication or maybe it's outright said is that like it helps them skirt certain laws because they're on like international waters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so Bato is based like literally like they go through this whole house of mirrors stick in this mansion, uh, Bato Tokusa. And Tokusa is like, man, that was, that was fucked. We got to, get out of here like i want to go home and see my wife and, and kids and also make sure they're real because i was just ghost hacked and i don't trust that that's that's true anymore um and bato's like but i've gotta i've gotta see this through we've gotta you've gotta take it to them because we've gotta have a finale to this movie um and so they do um <laughs> and then yeah i mean not much to say they like it's kind of it, it is a little confusing how all this happens because like Bato invades the ship and then um you know like the like security uh people for the ship like take wind of that but then also the gynoids come alive and I don't think that's intentional I'm not sure who did that or why and then the major shows up at one of the gynoids and then they start kicking gynoid ass and also Bato gives uh the major his vest because even though 
it's it's fine. It's a gynoid that it doesn't actually have like boobies or anything. He's got to cover her up for her decency, which is just whatever. Uh, but also they point out in the commentary that uh, both of them have been um, not made fun of, but like fans like to apparently call out that as being like an animation mistake because the vest uh, that she's wearing is way too small for Bato have been t- to have been wearing. <laughs> um, it feels like a very like they did it to. Um be like okay now you can actually tell which one the major is <laughs> yeah. that's what i thought i was like oh they're gonna have a big fight scene <laughs> we need to make even, sure you know who's who even though they point out and maybe this is just like you can tell more when it's only one gynoid in the scene but they point out at the very end scene when it's just uh the major and the gynoid body and um at bato that the animator started to draw the gynoid a little bit more like how the major looked in the original ghost in the shell like in terms of her features and expressions um and apparently, like, the animator, like, once they notice, is like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll fix it. And Oshi or, or uh, Ishikubo were like, no, leave it. That's actually cool that she starts to take on that appearance a little bit. So maybe they could have gone there without that. Um, but it's just funny. They point out there, they're like, oh, well, you know, if she had, like, a vest that was appropriately big for Bato, she'd look ridiculous in it. And I'm like, you cowards. I want that. I want her to look <laughs> ridiculous in it. Um, yeah, tie it up. It's fine. The... Yeah. um the Wikipedia article, the plot summary, is not helpful in, in terms of what's happening here. So, resolved to no. g- gather material <laughs> evidence, Bato inf- infiltrates the headquarters ship while Togusa remotely hacks its security system using an unaware Kim as a proxy. So they mm-hmm. they like hook Kim up because they basically say like, oh, he basically has like a uh, a connection to the security bot or or whatever on the ship. Uh, the ship security becomes aware of the hacking and retaliates with a virus that fries Kim's cyberbrain. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, a hidden virus loads a combat program into the production line gynoids, causing them to attack everyone on board. Yeah, I that's the part don't I, know, don't, I don't get. I, I don't know where that comes from either. Um, maybe nowhere. Maybe Kim Maybe did it. Maybe last act of Kim. Yeah, or maybe... My thought originally when that started to happen was like, oh, maybe it's the major, but then they have to fight the gynoids. Maybe the major couldn't like control the programming. Um, but you also think if the major did it, they would have made that more obvious. My only other guess would be it's that Walkinson guy. He, like, also set up this virus to go off in the eventuality that someone did, like, lead an assault on this um, ship. But I also don't know why he would do that. It seems to have made everything harder for Bato and the Major. The girl at the end says, oh, Walkinson said if you come, like, or if I do, like, if we do this, then the police will come. Very... I whatever um i will say that there's a, a the getting onto the ship is sick as fuck um bato is like diving and like the 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 like basically grabs onto a passing like submarine uh that's like uh they're meeting up there and they kind of yeah. have a conversation that echoes back to the first movie uh where they're like i can't believe that someone as big as you would go diving like if you fall like if you fuck up like you're going to the bottom and i don't think we could even get you like you'd be so deep and uh you know he's like i knew someone used to go uh cyborg who would go scuba diving for fun and that's the end of that scene i'm like okay that's cool um yeah but i was i was glad to be back at it after the the last scene i was like hey we're we're doing cool shit again (laughs) yeah and i mean like the the action is all pretty great in terms of like the animation and stuff in this uh big like assault scene the best part to me is um 
speaking of John Woo, is when, like, uh, the major shows up and Bato kind of realizes that it's her. They're both, like, pointing their guns at each other. Um, it's very, like, uh, uh, Hong Kong New Wave uh, action movie stuff, um, which they also <laughs> uh, point out in the commentary. I'm like, oh, good, I'm not the only one that's, oh, like, they were aware they were doing this when they made it. It's not just me picking that up. Um, I like that bit. Um, and then, yeah, they, there's... I guess another part I like is like at at the end of it all, like the major has to like hook up to a big emergency terminal um, straight out of like any sci-fi movie ever. It's just this big like terminal slab that she pulls out from a wall and then Jack losing her arm, losing her arm again. Yes. Yeah. I did like that bit of bit of repetition uh, with the first movie where she has to shred her arm trying to pull this big uh, cylindrical terminal out. Um, And then I like that. She's got to like counter hack the, uh these like i i can't there's parts in these movies where i like i can't tell if like is this like a robot body or is this like a person just wearing like gear or whatever um but like the like security agents that are all in this like uh it's another great like all cg scene of like these four like security guys like in a tight cramped room with a bunch of like orange computer displays popping up everywhere um and uh oh she was like i wanted to do like I wanted to turn a hacking or like two people hacking back and forth at each other into an action sequence. Uh, this was his attempt at it. And I guess you can kind of tell cause like uh, the major's like overriding code with like, it, it turns from like orange to white as she's like, um, like successfully like hacking the security system. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then that brings us to the final scene of the movie. Well, so two more little things about uh, this whole mm-hmm. segment. Um, one, uh, at one point, Bato says, "No time to get philosophical," and I'm like, "Fucking finally, King!" Like, <laughs> Jesus. An hour Christ. twenty in. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah, I'm like, man, you got it. Um, also, uh, this ending uh, very much uh, reminds me of Metal Gear Solid Four. Okay. Um, between running across catwalks, uh, where with a bunch of like little mechanized things coming at you, uh, down to hacking. Like literally, the only thing it's missing is uh, walking through a a corridor of microwaves. But uh, but yeah, no, very big Metal Gear Solid Four energy, uh, including like the oh no, we're out of ammo, we're about to die. Oh, thank God, the hack went through. Literally, what's happens at the end of Metal Gear Solid Four? Mm-hmm. I'm like Kojima, you've done it again. I was gonna say Ghost in the Shell Two, two thousand and four, Metal Gear Solid Four, two thousand eight. So you know, <laughs> say it there. It's like poetry. We, we... <laughs> We know Kojima likes to take things from other movies. Um, that's funny. Uh, and then, yeah, we get to the final scene where, again, the the major explains the plot to Bato and us, the audience, in like a couple sentences, which is like, yeah, so this company is ghost dubbing, which is basically like making a copy of the brains of girls who have been human trafficked by the Yakuza organization that bato shot up earlier in the movie um ghost dubbing apparently is something that's like illegal because it like deteriorates the brain that you're copying after enough times um like the girl that gets rescued mentioned that like one of her friends has been like ghost dubbed so much that she can't like hear anymore um and so they take a girl out and she's like oh mr walkinson told us that you would find us this is when we learned that he was the guy that changed their programming so that they could kill people hoping that it would lead an investigation back to save these girls. Why he became attached to these girls and wanted to do this, I guess, out of the goodness of his heart or whatever. Why um, he couldn't say, hey, 
police officer, I have something you all need to know about this. Yeah. Who's to say? Uh, uh, and then, um, you know, pulls the little girl out and she's like, uh, you know, um, she says all that. And then Bato's like, oh, well, you, you didn't think that there would be be victims. And I'm not talking about uh, the humans. I'm talking about the dolls, um, which again is like, okay, but bro, this has not been a movie about interrogating like the like uh humanity or the like um sentience of the dolls in this movie uh, you know you're gonna just bring this in now um and then um she that's when she yells at him like uh, uh but i didn't want to be turned into a human and then makoto's like well maybe the the or i didn't want to be turned into a doll and then makoto goes like well maybe the dolls didn't want to be turned into humans uh we we don't cry when a when a fish spills blood but we we feel for when a bird cries out oh blessed are the ones with voices we're getting more quotes in here <laughs> and it's like okay but that's not what this movie's been about up until now yeah well, it's um, very much just like a less interesting take on the what really makes someone human of the original film yeah almost more confusing to me is they're yelling this at some little girl who like whose brain is being like redubbed into this like shit and it's like maybe the doll wouldn't want to be turned into a human you're agreeing with her she doesn't want that to happen either because that causes her to be detrimented as well like everyone is on team let's not make more dolls it's just like this apparent for whatever reason uh this walk the jack walks in was like this is the only way we gotta i can do this um so it's like what 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 would you have them do would you have these little girls who have been human trafficked by the yakuza just just let them get turned into dolls let them it's not it's not like they volunteer to get turned into doll it's very confusing as to why they're taking umbrage with this little girl yeah because it's like oh don't you realize how many how many dolls died for me to get here and save you it's like well yeah because i wanted you to save me (laughs) like um it just feels like you know like okay bato you we could have this moral discussion later but maybe not maybe don't yell at a literal child who also like wasn't it's not like she's the mastermind behind all this like it's it's the the Watson guy who's like who's done all this on behalf of the Mm. girls um like you want to get mad at anybody get mad at a dead man i guess um just a very strange way to end the movie where again like uh the major explains the plot of the movie bato yells at a little girl and then the major goes (laughs) uh oh aren't we aren't we fucked up for not caring when fish die, but we care when birds die. It's like, wow, you're so right, Major. And then she literally goes, like her last line in the movie is, well, time to go. <laughs> she just yeah, my job here is done. <laughs> Lived, served, cunt, died. <laughs> yeah. Fucking t- it is- like uh-huh. tuxedo mask ass shit. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, my job here is done. <laughs> Well, uh, and she she does this like Doctor Manhattan shit too. Like Bato's like, <laughs> well, so like, are you happy with how you are right now? And she's like, I haven't thought about it that way in a long time. I can say I'm at peace with myself, or or something like that, or you know, time to go. <laughs> dies, <Yeah. laughs> refuses to elaborate. Dies. Because <laughs> we didn't we didn't mention this because the movie also doesn't make this too explicit. I think you do get the year at some point in the movie. Um, so you would then have to go back to the original <laughs> Ghost in the Shell and remember what year that movie is. But I think this movie's supposed to be four years after the events of the last movie. Um, and I don't remember if it came up in the commentary. Probably not. Probably came up in the making of featurette. 
and I don't even remember if it was Oshi or someone else, but someone is like, yes, this movie takes place a couple years after the first one, and it's obvious that something happened in those years, but who's to say what it is? As if it's like, that's like an interesting thing to think about, but it's like, well, we don't know. Like, then, like no one gives any indication of what like could have happened or might have happened. Uh, it's just like so funny that the time jump in this movie doesn't really matter. It could take place like six months later and that wouldn't really change anything. Well, there's literally a point where I was like, I wonder if the, the chief is ever just like, whatever happened to Major? Because Bato's, in theory, the only one who knows what happened yeah. there um and they kind of make hints towards it like at one point bato is basically like they d- they don't care about getting the major back they care about getting their secrets back because yeah like you know whatever um but it's never really brought up beyond that like no it, it's almost treated as if like the end of the movie like didn't quite happen or that like bato was just like ah don't worry chief she's in a better place or something like that it's very strange yeah and i know that like because one of the newer ghost in the shell shows is literally called like ghost in the shell standalone complex 2045 which is like years after all of this i think those shows like retcon these movies where the major doesn't get her puppet master uh net powers um or maybe they they get her back in her body somehow because she's in her body in the shows i know that from like all the key art but i would love like a show that takes place after this where it's just like a procedural show with Tokusa and Bato and every now and then the major just kind of shows up to, to help out like, Hey, it's me. I'm surfing the net. Uh, here's a clue that you need to solve this mystery. See ya. She's, she's uh, like Columbo or something. <laughs> you got to call in Columbo. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah. And then I guess we get one last scene in the movie, which is like, they're back in Newport city and, uh, uh, Bato's dropping Tokusa off to his, uh, wife and daughter and his daughter's, got a present from Tokusa. It's a doll. And we get like, it's, this is the shot that irritated me the most in the movie. And again, like I had a good time with this movie. It was like dumb in ways that I enjoyed and was like aesthetically pleasing and all that. But this has genuinely like bothered me since, since watching it earlier this week. Um, there's like a, a, a mirrored image of like Tokusa holding his daughter. And then his daughter's got this like doll in her arms and Bato's got his dog in his arms and it's like, you know, meant to be like a match between the two. And I'm like, what the fuck is this meant to imply? <laughs> like, what are you trying to say, Oshi? I can't get my my brain around what they meant by that. And it's the last shot of the movie. Like, we cut from the daughter with the doll to Bata with his dog. And we hold on that for a little bit. And then it cuts to credits. I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to take away from that? Um, and I think the well, answer is just nothing. <laughs> well, so... Like there's like an overarching thing of like all things are like you know the 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 forensics lady kind of hints towards it like you know humans and animals and like children and dolls and every they're like what's the difference like they're all like like and you kind of draw that she's basically saying like you know there is no difference they're all equal when you get down to it like when you strip away admittedly when you strip away a lot of defining characteristics then there's no real difference between these things at all or whatever. And they make some mention of, like, and, and this is, like, a whole nother can of worms that's not really opened. But, like, they ask Bato, is your dog a clone or is it real? Because, like, a, the real ones mm-hmm. uh, cost a lot of money. And Bato doesn't really answer, I don't think. I think he just kind of starts talking about how that dog is, like, used in genetics or something like that. So, um, like, uh, this breed of dog was, like, the first dogs they tried to clone or something like that. And I don't know if that's, like, a real detail uh like a real life detail or or just fiction without 
without looking it up, I'm going to say no, because yeah. whenever you do uh, research on dogs, uh, it's on beagles. Fun fact. Uh, Maybe Bato doesn't know the difference between a, um, <laughs> beagle. Uh, a beagle and a basset hound. Yeah, there's a. I've read many a paper, unfortunately, describing uh, mm. that, and uh, yeah, it's always beagles. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I have no fucking clue. And and it's like the close up of it, which I didn't get the mirroring shot. Like I didn't absorb that bit uh but the fact that it kind of like cuts from bato's face and then like a close-in shot of the of the doll as if like and it doesn't say this this is like me pulling you know like kuleshov effect style of like him being like really pensive about like oh she's holding a doll like is that doll like like kind of like thinking on that doll's existence in the context of the gynoids that he just fucking slaughtered um but like this that that the problem is the doll is a doll. The doll is not a gynoid, and like that's the main thrust of the gynoid dilemma that the the movie kind of skirts around is that they have some sort of programming, and then they they're allowed to break their programming, and then you find out that they have like ghosts in them essentially. Whereas this doll is literally just like a, a doll. It's not. It doesn't have programming. It's just a piece of plastic or or, or whatever. Um, so it falls flat in that regard. Um, there are some things that they could have done different. Like they could have made it a puppet. They have a lot of like discussions about puppets in the movie and like how death is, when death comes, you're just a puppet on on a parade. And when they cut your string, you're it's over. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just a deeply confused ending where. The, the mystery is solved almost accidentally. Um, the major refuses to elaborate on her condition. She's just like, yeah, I'm at peace with myself, disconnects Lamau. And then there's just this after thing of Bato being like, I don't want to get too close to your family. It's not really my thing, but I have my dog. Because that's, you know, they're at that, that they're picking up his dog in yeah. part. Um, and... And then the movie just kind of ends, and you get more banger Kenji Kawaii. No, no, you don't, you don't. get a banger Kenji Kawaii mo- uh, track. <laughs> you just get some random. I don't. I didn't even listen to it. I just kind of gave up at that point. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it's um. There's another. There's like an insert song um that plays like I think like when Bato's like walking home and and while he's feeding his dog, um like a jazzy kind of song. It's sung by the same singer. It's a fine song. Um, they're in the commentary, so they hit credits and they're still talking, and they're clearly talking to like whatever producers in the room with them. Like, do you want us to talk over the credits? And the producer's like, uh, "Say something about the ending song." Um, <laughs> and Oshi says basically what I said, which is like, "Yeah, it's fine, but uh, Kenji Kawai could have done it better." <laughs> uh, but I think it was like they they wanted like a song song um, for the ending, um, so that's what they get. Um, they have like one other note from the commentary that I, I didn't. Uh, managed to fit in here which is um uh he he pointed out or he mentions that um when they were making the first ghost in the shell that everybody was hooked on virtual fighter um i think they ended up talking about virtual fighter because of like the action sequence at the end um something about that made them talk about virtual fighter um and he said that there was one animator on this movie that anytime like they were looking for him and he wasn't at the office they would find him at the uh, arcade playing virtual fighter <laughs> uh, it's just a funny detail um but yeah, and then that's that's the end of the movie. I rate it uh, Basset Hound out of 10. Um, 
I, uh, I, I, I would love a, su- I would rate a supercut of all of the dog scenes a Basset Hound That's out true. of ten. Uh, <laughs> as it is, I'm, I'm gonna rate it a, a fish blood out of bird cry. <laughs> Okay, some sort of ratings. Danielle, what do you rate it? Oh God, yeah, no, I gotta go. I was, I'm reading it a fucking online Twitter car- communist argument out of ten. Okay. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, this movie just like halfway through this movie, I just knew like, oh, this is like appealing to me so much. I'm gonna be like the most high on this movie. When we <laughs> it, I just, like, I've like barely on. said anything because it just like completely bounced off of me. <laughs> it it uh. was hard. It was a tough, like, it wasn't, like, hard to get through because there was enough to, like, latch on, like, visually and just, like, vibe. But the second I tried to understand, my brain just, like, short-circuited. And I, at one point, I had to ask, like, I was like, am I, like, I was like, have I been drinking? Like, I was trying to figure out, like, why I couldn't, like, connect what was going on. I, I was not intoxicated in any way, but I was like, <laughs> like, wait, what is wrong with me that I'm not getting this? Maybe it's because, my, uh-huh. and I, I, think, I think part of it is that I was expecting something a lot more similar to the first movie. Mm-hmm. And like, if I had been told like up front, like, Hey, there are going to be some things you just kind of have to accept, or you have to like really pay attention to kind of understand this part or that part, whatever. If I had been a little more anticipatory of what's cut to come, I might've caught on a little bit more. Uh, but as it stands, I was just like, wait, where's, I thought the major would be back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> wait, she's a guy. noid. <laughs> what? Yeah, my my last note um, uh, before I segue into my uh, commentary track notes is just I feel like I might be a little bit too tired slash sick to really grok what this movie's trying to say thematically, <laughs> and then just spent both the next two days thinking over the movie and then rewatching it with the commentary and came to the realization like nope, I'm, I grokked it as much as one could grok it uh, in the first place. Um, but I do think like it it probably like rewatching it with the commentary wasn't really rewatching it because again they don't they don't talk about the story and it's not like I was really reabsorbing the story uh too much because I didn't really get in the, the the dialogue over them uh talking over top of it um but I do feel like it would it would benefit from a rewatch in terms of like fitting some of the pieces together I don't think it would like be a radically different experience but I do think it, it is a movie that I will try to rewatch at some point just to kind of like um wrap my head around it a little bit more because it is kind of baffling how little any of the thematic content really like connects together or cements to anything by the end of it. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, so gets to, should you watch, uh, gets to what's our, <laughs> I would say, um, if you watch the first, let's say you've, you've not watched any Oshi stuff other than the stuff we've already watched, which we both stayed behind, uh, angels egg and the first gets, um, I would say seek out Oshi's other stuff before you get to this one. Like, Pat Labor 1 and 2 are definitely more worthwhile watches than this movie is, for sure. Um, but if you're like me and you've always got that itch for more Oshi and you hadn't seen this one like I hadn't, um, I do think it's worth watching if you're, like, a fan of his other stuff. Um, but if you're not, then I don't I don't know how much... Um, uh, if, if you feel like you're going to mark out in the same way that I marked out for parts of this movie, you'll, you'll probably have a good time. But otherwise, you could probably skip it, I think. Yeah, I'd say skip it unless you really, really love the uh, philosophical um, parts of Ghost in the Shell and want more of it, even if it is worse. Yeah, I I would say probably on the air, uh, side of skipping it because any sort of um any sort of like positive I can think of has been like was done better elsewhere. Um, or not just that, that but it it's like 
if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be frustrated. Like if you're looking for that philosophical discussion, you're going to be kind of I in my like I was kind of turned off because it's not philosophic discussion. It's it's surface level just quoting theory at each other. Hashtag philosophy students, please come up with your own theory. I don't care about Hegel. Just come up with your own (laughs) damn ideas. And it's not even theory. It's like it's like Milton quotes and it's like quotes from uh like the buddha and like you know it's, yeah. it's it's just it's just quotes from books and things like it's not even like a you know like like a strong there's not like a strong um through line in terms of what's being quoted. you need to like fucking synthesize an idea yeah <laughs> like god yeah. Yeah, especially because it's not being used as like metaphor it's not really being used as like a way of explaining something it's just kind of like one-off-isms where someone will just say it and then just kind of move on. Like no one really, yeah. it's not like, oh, you, we can really get into the killer's mind when we consider this or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want so, like, if you want something that's like the original movie, it's not like that at all. Or, or you know, you're going to be frustrated by the way it's different. If you're looking for kind of like this slow burn investigative thing, there's not a real investigative thing. Um, if you're looking for a Basset Hound, this is movies for you. But watch, just watch the supercut. Um, so, eh. like, um, one of the things that was like in my mind when I was watching this was like how much like it feels kind of like a visual novel where they start talking about all these philosophy <laughs> things. Mm. But the thing is, like, the visual novels usually like you know go deeper or like apply it to its story. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> we don't fucking do that here. No. There's like, hey, we know all these terms. We're cool. Would you... At least, like, what a fucking visual novel brings up Schrodinger's cat for the 20th time. It's, like, for a reason. <laughs> now, would you call this movie unfocused? Absolutely. It depends. If you're if you're talking about, like, story and themes, yes. If you're talking about, like, animation production, oh, they were very focused on getting those car windows nice and grimy and dirty and uh, animating the shit out of that Basset Hound. Um, Which, yeah, I... Very unfocused. L- looks good. But as ever, uh, I want anime that is less expensive, uh, made by people who are paying more. Whatever the fucking saying is, uh, yeah. people should not have had to take a three-month hiatus after this no. movie because they were so burned out. Um, One more production detail I forgot to mention, which does bear worth mentioning. So you know um, Ishikawa's sick boat tail car that he has in this movie? Yeah. If you had to guess right now, this is a leading question, but if you had to guess right now, is that CG or three or, or 2D? I would think uh, CG. Uh, so they animated the car all in 2D, and the reason it kind of like tricks you and think you might think it's 3D is they did like CGI effects on it to make it very reflective. But the actual animation of the car itself is all done 2D, which blew my mind to learn. I was like, the lines are so like clean and like it all uh, there's no like um, jitter in the animation like it would if it was like, you know, um, like a TV anime, you know, doing a car uh, animation sequence like that—it's extremely impressive. Um, okay. it, I thought you were gonna—I thought you were gonna drop a bomb like uh, uh, it's actually like a scanned-in like oh. real <laughs> like model car that they rotoscoped over or something like that. No, but um, that that kind of uh, made my jaw drop when they they talked about that. Like, oh yeah, people think that's 3D, but they're wrong. <laughs> we did that in 2D. Um, like all the cars in the movie are all done 2D. Um, 
and also like i said uh both of the uh both um, nishikubo and uh oshi were are obvious gun nuts and are able to call out all the gun models they're also very clearly car nuts uh car otaku and <laughs> calling out all the different types of cars and like well a lot of the americans that saw this movie thought that uh ishikawa's boat tail car was something we designed for a movie but it's an actual model of car it's this yada 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 it's like fucking nerds um, mm. That is actually my real recommendation is maybe don't watch the movie as is, but definitely watch the movie with the commentary. The commentary is really good. If you care about like these like production details, they're extremely. Oh, fuck. Fuck. I just realized the ideal form of this movie would be like a fucking Wizard of Oz or Paul Blart where you just play an album (laughs) over it. We need to figure out what album it is. Well, you, you miss out on the Kenji Kawai stuff, though. Mm. You just get Kenji Kawai to like record an additional like forty-five minutes of music. Yes, <laughs> the the Kenji cut. Um, all right. Uh, well, that's the movie. I do have a couple of voice actors. Um, I meant to cover these uh, these two last time because they're in the last movie, but um, they show up in this one, so it worked out. Um, and just for consistency the both the major and bato are, are still voiced by um atsuko uh, tanaka and akio otsuka god bless because again akio otsuka my love um uh but uh togusa in both of these is voiced by uh koichi yamadera um he is uh the dub voice of genie in aladdin uh he was batman and ninja batman he is the japanese voice of spike spiegel and cowboy bebop uh, he voiced Donkey Kong in the 90s Donkey Kong CG uh, cartoon. Um, he is Beerus in Dragon Ball Super. Um, he is Roji Kaji in uh, Evangelion. He is the um, modern uh, dub voice actor for Donald Duck, um, which is pretty great. Uh, he's the modern um, uh, Zenigata in um, Lupin the Third since like 2012 is when he took over that role. Um he apparently voices the mask in the mask animated series, the Japanese voice. Um, he's Gune in Char's counterattack. He is gentle criminal in my hero academia. Um, Don Quixote, uh, uh, Rokinante in one piece, uh, Ryoga Hibiki in Ranma one half, uh, Hatsuharu in, um, Rakugo Shinju, um, Ton Dravolta. Uh, yes, I said that right in, in space dandy again, Every time I have to say a Space Dandy character, uh, I'm just like, man, we really need to watch Space Dandy one of these days. Um, and then also he's the dub voice for Donkey and Shrek to bring it all full circle to, to Shrek. Um, and then uh, Chief Aramaki is voiced by Tamio Oki, who doesn't have a lot of credits, but there were a couple that I was like, well, I can't not mention this guy because he is um, Professor uh, Sakunji and Duke Saki in Voltez 5. Y'all know I fucking love Voltes 5. Um, he is uh, Theo Fairchild in Gundam F91. Uh, he's Rasputin in <laughs> Lupin III from Siberia with love. Um, he's Anastasis in Final Fantasy XII. And he is uh, Tom Petty in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, as well as, if you couldn't tell, many an old man in a lot of anime. Like, the bulk of his anime credits are just old men in anime. Um, and he also passed away a couple years ago, so R.I.P. Um but that was it for uh, our little adventure into Ghost in the Shell. Maybe I'll pick uh, Standalone Complex, or um, I guess if we would we were to watch any of the other things, we would have to start with Standalone Complex. But um, those are not Oshi; those are our old nemesis, uh, Kenji Kamiyama, Mister Eden of the East. So <laughs> hesitant to revisit that one uh, for obvious reasons. But um, anyway, uh, shall we talk about what other anime we've been watching? Hopefully, y'all had some stuff you had a better time with than this movie it sounds like um danny what else have you been uh digging into 
this past couple weeks? Uh, not so not too terribly much. I was gonna get back into uh, .hack sign, but then I have no idea where my uh, copy of it is, like my files for it are. So mm. off to reobtain that um, and then get into that. In fact, right before we started recording, I was like, oh, you know, like there's an hour before recording, not really enough time to get into anything. Maybe I'll pop on an episode of that, whatever. Didn't have that on on the the hard drive. Uh, What I did have, and I was like, you know what? We talked about this in Ghosts in the Shell 1's episode. Um, We Mm. talked about the the movie Kite. Oh. (laughs) And I was like, I I saw that forever ago. And I was like, I should rewatch that. Now, Wait, is it pronounced kite or kite? I have no idea. That's a good question. I've only ever seen it written out. I'm looking it up. Continue. Um, it's kite. It's kite. Okay. Whew. It's a close one. Um, uh, not not worth the watch. Uh, uh, mm. some would say it was bad. Um, it, mm. it is. Um, uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to describe it without having to add a few content warning flags onto the episode. Um, there's a lot of activities that happen towards children and um and adults and i'm sorry uh, that's the best euphemism for that i've ever heard thank, a lot of activities you. happen to children yeah i'm still gonna watch it it's, it's, <laughs> but yeah I, uh, oh boy do i know yeah, about it uh, there are some parts of it that i was like oh that's pretty stylish like i, th- I think this might have been why it came up in uh ghost in the shells one episode where there's like a briefcase gun that someone has and the major has it in the in Ghost in the Shell mm. one, uh, but that's something that comes up in in Kite. Um, it's just like it's just kind of like I don't know. It's it's there's not enough there. It doesn't go like far enough into the hyper violence or like the scenes of violence go like go by really quickly. Um, and you're just not left with a lot else other than uh, all these things, these activities happening to all these people. Um, it just I don't know. It it felt kind of edgy, um, and I don't know wasn't for me uh but uh there are there is also kite liberator and oh shit that director did another one um i don't think i'm gonna watch them though i don't feel the need to really um but uh but yeah there was that um other than that uh this last weekend i was traveling uh so and then you know during the week i was working so it didn't have as much we saw each other in in real life in this past there you go there you go um proved that so we yeah. do exist we we, yeah. we we have both been ghost hacked in recent years and we needed to prove that <laughs> you really weren't just a figment of my my memory there you go uh yeah and austin gave me a, a doll and i gave him a basset hound and you know <laughs> it's uh but yeah that's uh that's it for me cool uh notes about kite because i had the wikipedia page open uh, there is the sequel kite liberator and then there's a live action film from 2014 uh ad- adapting it samuel samuel jackson's in that um cursory glance says yes plays character called carl aker whoever that's supposed to be is a south african film probably uh the the stand-in character for the one of the men who do a lot of things that are not good mm-hmm. sure um and then um did also want to point out that under genre uh, Wikipedia lists uh, for kite crime, girls with guns, hentai. So you got your your three uh, basic needs uh, fulfilled with kite ninety eight. <laughs> oh, so and the the other uh, anime that uh, so the kite liberator. They also did Mezzoforte. It's the other one. Mm, uh, yeah. That the the title the the uh, 
DVD cut poster for it uh, says, Double the girls, double the guns. Mezzo Forte from the creative direct, creator and director of Kite. So uh, also under genre, girls with guns, comma, hentai. So. I do also, before we move on to what you've been watching, Danielle, uh, I need you to explain, uh, Danny, because... Uh, you said you had a on par with my Phantom Menace comparison to the first Ghost in the Shell for this movie, but you, I don't think you dropped it. Oh, it was, it was Metal Gear Solid 4. The fact that the oh, end okay. of this game so, is Metal Gear Solid 4, essentially. <laughs> so so gets to is, is the Metal Gear Solid 4 of anime. And also exactly. the Uncharted 4 of anime. No, I yes. thought it was Uncharted 3. Uncharted 3, yes. Are they the same game? They're, they're probably the same game. I don't care. I've never played them, so they, they might as well be. Oh, God. What are, what are the subtitles for the Uncharted games? There's... Four is among the honor among thieves. Three is Drake's deception. Two well, obviously is, it's just... uh, Uncharted, Uncharted's, uh, Uncharted three, <laughs> but it's like three, like the cubed, and then Uncharted Resurrection, um, and then they started making a, a prequel series called Prometheus. Um. <laughs> Uncharted zero. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, Danielle, what have uh, you been watching? I haven't been watching much. I was mostly playing games, including uh, finishing the newest Pokemon game. Had a good time with that. Um, Getting frustrated with the online connection stuff. But whatever. Um, More relevant to the podcast is I finished reading Inside Mari, uh, the Shuzo Oshimi manga. And it fucking rules. Oh, okay. (laughs) Like, um, I know this one's a bit, like, um, divisive. But I, this is one of the, my favorite, um, trying to like, one of my favorite things that is about, not explicitly about queerness, but feels very queer at the same time. Mm. God, it is very difficult to describe. And um, I think you should just, if it sounds interesting to you, um, just go read it. Um, One of those things I actually feel like not knowing what's going on um, works a bit better. And I'm usually not about um, going to things unspoiled, but I think it works works well for the manga. Um, so yeah, uh, go read that. There's um, an official TL that you can find. <laughs> yeah, um, because I'm I'm the physical media person here. I will shout out uh, Denpa, the um, manga pub- the English manga publisher, um, publishes that. And I don't own those specifically, but everything I own that's published by Denpa is great. They're a really great, like, boutique publisher. Um, so I would assume those are worth owning physically if you're into that as well. Um, I did not own it physically, but I am going to. Oh, nice. Um, That's how you know it's good. Yeah. The only issue is, like, the um, for whatever reason, that publisher lost the rights and the last volume was translated uh... by Crunchyroll. Oh. So I'm not sure if there's a physical release of that. Huh. Uh, I have to look into it. But I, I, I still do really love it. Um, <laughs> it's a... There's also a very clear um, through line from that into uh, Oshimi's most recent series, um, Okairi Alice, which uh, centers around a trans woman. Mm. And <laughs> just, uh, it's a lot more of like, a, both of them actually are a lot more like a real depiction of like people rather than like a, uh, I guess, Disney-fied like, oh, look, the two, the girl actually has a girlfriend. Isn't that cute? I don't know, it feels a lot more honest and real mm. than a uh, kind of fan fiction-y type of thing. I, I... <laughs> now I'm thinking, oh, if, oh man, maybe I should reread this to like uh, better articulate my thoughts on it. Because I kind of read through it very quick because I got like super <laughs> interested in it. Mm. Yeah, nice. I also really want to um, 
go and reread um what I believe is Oshimi's most notable work, uh, Flowers of Evil, and see what else I get from it now, because I read that a long time ago, and I'm a very different person now. So I'll probably have updates on that next episode. Nice. Uh, well, once again, it falls on me to watch all the anime on, on my, my back with my strong arms I'm carrying. Next episode will be the end of the season. I could talk about all six shows I'm watching, so uh -huh. just fucking wait. <laughs> I can not talk about all of the many shows this season that I am six plus episodes behind on. Uh, but uh, in lieu of getting caught up on currently airing anime, I watched basically the entire second half of Digimon was where I was at in that show. Uh, I am here to regretfully inform that while the first half of Digimon Tamers rules, the second half is really uneven and messy and ruins uh, the character arcs of, uh, go figure, the two uh, uh, girl main characters in the show. Um, thanks, uh, Kanaka, for that one. Um, yeah, the ending of it's really disappointing. The thing that carries me through is that like it's still a digimon show and also gilmon is still my perfect little boy um <laughs> and i would take a bullet for him um so there's that it's not like i had a totally bad time but it was just really disappointing like seeing all the things that the show was doing really well in the first half uh kind of fall apart in the second half um so that that sucks not as much as the um uh stage play that they did last year that kanaka wrote um that talks about cancel culture infecting the digital world or whatever the fuck it's not that quite that big of a bummer but also you can kind of see some some threads as to how he gets there um which is not great as well but um but just a really like baffling kind of especially like the last 10 12 episodes it just really stretches the plot real thin and has like 80 mini climaxes before it has its actual climax and um you should listen to um as always, I'm always recommending this podcast, but you should listen to uh, like the recent season of Great Gundam Project where they talk about SD Gundam Force and Digimon Tamers uh, because they, they talk through all these things in, in pretty uh, specific detail. Um, but uh, yeah, I was really disappointed by how much I loved the first half of the show and then how poorly I think of the second half of the show. But uh, they were saying this on GGBP as well, like give me six months and all I'll think about is uh, Gilmon is my perfect little boy and I want to bake him Gilmon bread um and feed him <laughs> to be uh, a, a strong growing boy um but then i watched the second digimon movie which comes after the main series it's called digimon tamers uh runaway locomon as in like locomotive um it's like a 30 minute movie so it's very short um so not a lot happens other than just like some action scenes but like e every character gets like a fun character moment in it um it's kind of like a very fitting send-off for these characters in a way that the actual finale of the show wasn't um and there's like some pretty great animation and stuff and um it was just it was kind of good to see all the characters again in like a context that was different than how miserable the um uh like final arc of the show kind of was um so it was nice to have that as like a way to cap off the show um really helped me uh get over how how bad the finale was um and then uh arguably more importantly uh last night i watched the first two episodes of the new lupon zero show which is uh i've been calling um baby lupon uh because it's about lupon and jigen as like i think they're supposed to be like 12 13 um maybe even younger than that and the great thing is like even though they're like tweens like jigen is still like smoking in every scene he's in <laughs> um, and, and, and and they're not having them like oh he doesn't have like a gun yet he uses like a, a, a slingshot or something stupid like that like no he's he 
shooting a, a Smith and Wesson uh, fucking revolver still. Um, so good on him. Uh, I think it's great. I saw some people still being skeptical about it two episodes in, but um, I really like it. It's like the most fun Lupin's been in a while. Um, part six had its moments, um, but both part six and part five were not as fun as I want Lupin to be. Um, and these two episodes were very fun. Um, so uh, we talked before about like what's a good on road into Lupin. I don't know if this is like the best. I, th- I still think you probably have a good time if you don't have a lot of experience with the show, but definitely if you're like a fan of the series, highly recommend uh, checking it out. It's only going to be six episodes, which is kind of a bummer. Um, I'd want it to be like a full 12, but um, it means I, I won't fall behind on it, I guess. Uh, I'll definitely finish it um, as it's airing. Uh, so I'll have updates on that as it continues to air. But um, that was the highlight of my week personally, getting to watch those two episodes finally after all the, the teasers and stuff. Um, all right. Uh, well, that's it for me. Um, so that brings us to a close. I don't, I didn't check the Gmail, but I know we don't have any DMs. It probably means we don't have any emails. Uh, and if you, if you did, and I'm just assuming it's not there, I'm sorry, uh, but I'm not going to check. <laughs> uh, but if you want to email us, you could send emails to uh, under the gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at under the Kotatsu, um, and DM us questions there as well. Uh, Danielle, what are we going to be watching next time since it's your pick? You know, um, one of the things we haven't watched on here is like fucking early 2000s Moe anime. So we're watching fucking Lucky Star. And Hell this was yeah. great timing with it. The uh, manga coming back. So I'm very excited. Oh, right. I've never seen it before. <laughs> I have seen like episodes of it, uh, but I've not seen I, it. I, I do watch Out of Touch Thursdays every oh, Thursday, though. Of know. course. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, I've been your host, Austin. You can find me on Twitter at chai underscore squared. Uh, Danny, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at cover me and sauce on Twitter. And then uh, Danielle, where can people find you on the internet? I am at Banui Tape on Twitter or at Bunny with one and two on co-host. Uh, all right. Well, that has been uh, us. Join us next time for Lucky Star. And uh, Danielle, uh, take us out of here. B-Crimes, Dugay, and uh, Togusa and Bato should have been jerking each other off instead of quoting each other off. <laughs> to a lala across the shining sea Waiting beyond the wall that we have known Beyond the world that dream could be